just just that happened and watching it from afar realizing what's going on and then coming back and then seeing how many people had anxieties and everything else and i see that coming out again with a lot of these things and having that experience now has opened my eyes up to what's happening to our society here in the united states um as it occurs so i i totally know what you mean by that because it's it's very powerful to be able to have that perspective almost like you're looking down upon the u.s and yeah watching all the disparities so. and for me it's it's about especially now not being in the city for this time frame right so living in bangkok is like living in manhattan yeah um but living where I do outside of a fishing village, you know, where people are so (laughs) earth. I think the closer we get whatever society that we may happen to live in, where, you know, the closer we get to the earth, you know, in terms of our food supply, just natural systems, it's a completely different ecosystem. And so to your point, Tyler, I think people that are living within that symbiotic ecosystem experience the world but that's why I'm so excited to see the local fishermen using technology (laughs) for people to pre-order their fish and deliver I mean that to me is just I am so inspired by how people are able to kind of live in both worlds and I think they're the ones that are going to have the competitive advantage going forward as we've talked about Lakeisha do you also see some of the unattended consequences as they bring it about you know and you've seen that happen in the u.s like when they start using technology i was in morocco and i and as you expose children you expose people to some of the technologies that are out there there's a lot of unattended consequences that happen because they get caught up in those things too and they don't have those same lifestyles they used to have so do you see any of that in the fishing village because i you know like on the island of aruba i'd go to the sea every day and see these young kids swimming in the ocean, just doing that instead of being on TikTok or whatever else. Definitely, and they'd be yeah. fishing for lobster. Yeah. Yeah. Swimming at, you know, sunset in the sea, you know, I mean, so I think people Love are, it. you know, they're more grounded in terms of, you know, the present. I mean, it's not to say that kids in Thailand don't have tech, but I think that the level of access and the overall tech addiction, particularly in you know, areas that are more remote, the levels are less than where people have more access, where children have more access. So people do tend to be more in the present, to your point. Absolutely. There's a related headline to kind of that point you're talking about, Jeff, and it relates to Thailand that um, Food Panda, which is one of the big food delivery systems. um, I got to find somebody sent it in. So my apologies. Um, one second. Let me get this headline here. Yeah, no problem. I was also trying to find that one with the uh, Condor Man uh, car inside of a car that I sent you. Yeah, I didn't see that post on your Twitter too. So if you find that as well, but here yeah, it I'm is. Curious about the panda? Yeah. Okay, so check out Food Panda here. Food Panda is one of our big food delivery things, and it and it it exploded during COVID here. Because it partnered with Starbucks <laughs> uh, very brilliantly. And um, yeah, you could get Starbucks through Food Panda uh, at home. 
And so now the headline is first one of the day, just because it's related to the topic of our little banter, pre-show banter here, is that Food Panda faces a boycott now in Thailand after because there are protests in Thailand where people, young people notably, is being driven out of the universities most notably, are want more democracy. They want more control as young. I mean, this is. You might think of it like the hippies of my parents' generation, you know, where it's like the young people don't like the old school way and the young folks want um, to live in a, in a, yeah, in in a more democratic society. So anyway, it, it's very complex, actually. It would take an hour to even scratch the surface about, about Thai politics. But to suffice to say that these protests are largely students and... um. Food Panda um, basically fired one of their drivers because they discovered the this driver had been a protester, and now oh. and now now ties are boycotting um, Food Panda for firing this driver essentially. And Tyler, the sense. other piece to that, which is probably connected, was that Food Panda someone in their communications area equated the protesters to terrorists yeah and um so i I think that's also fueling it um yeah so it's 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 going to be interesting i think it'll be maybe an opportunity for for jay's colleagues over at grab which is the other major transport particularly in the food area yeah i I, let me read this one uh it says a major food delivery service (laughs) in thailand is facing a boycott after it said on Twitter that an anti-government demonstrator dressed as a food delivery person, meaning wearing the food panda jacket, was captured on video trying to set fire on a large image of the king as as committing an act of terrorism. And indeed, I find this hard to believe because uh, that not only, I mean, that, that person will disappear for the rest of their lives if they're caught trying to do that. And every Thai knows that. That's that's the most, uh, that's suicide. <laughs> that, that's the biggest act of suicide I've ever heard of. <laughs> that's the most, uh, uh, that's, you can't do something more suicidal than that in anywhere on the planet. So uh, it says, we're rushing to severely deal with him under company policy. He will be fired immediately. Please, and in this case, actually, ties would understand this. Actually, generally, like this is this is a whole different situation when it relates to royalty. So we're rushing to severely deal with him under the poli- current policy. He will be fired immediately. Please note that Food Panda has a policy against violence of all types of terrorism, and will be happy to assist officers in prosecuting the offender. Food Panda tweeted from its account. This was soon followed by Thai Twitter hashtag ban food panda which reached 1.25 uh, million mentions by monday noon despite the company's apology which came hours later on both twitter and the page so the somebody named ton padawat um has a video of a person yeah tr- lighting uh fire to in thailand we have images of the king everywhere and they are very ornately designed with flowers all around them and these really gold leaf, you know, silver and gold, you know, like these really intricate um, decorative photos of the king. And 
and and there's like uh ribbons all around them and somebody there is a video of somebody trying to set fire to the one of the ribbons that is on one of these ornate um you know photo uh um kind of i don't know what you would call them they're not statues it's a photo it's it's like a photo built into like a the big image of the king um what's the right word for these things lakeisha it's like a yeah i don't know Oh, it's it's yeah, it's like a giant sized building. An effigy, yes. Yes. Okay, there we go. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a large effigy, and then somebody setting fire to the ribbons around the edge of the effigy, which yeah, one would assume those will catch on fire, and then the whole thing will catch on fire. And anyway, it goes on. We apologize for the previous message from our team, which was posted, and now they're apologizing uh, as a result of people banning Food Panda. We're still investigating the incident and seek pardon from for the comment and for not thoroughly concluding about the previous incident. Some restaurants have an, uh, some food panda delivery staff said that due to the administration's actions, they now left work without due, uh, they left without work due to the boycott, meaning they just are no longer working for food panda. And one person says, I'm running out of cash to the point where I have hardly any left for apartment rent and food. I don't have anything left. The boycott trend is strong. Only death can rescue me. What the hell do you do? What the hell did you do, Food Panda page administrator? Wrote Facebook user. And Facebook post was shared 16,000 times. Another Food Panda writer posted a photo of himself in a Food Panda jacket and flashing three-finger salute, a symbol of uh, of Thai, a symbol of Thai, the anti-government reform movement, a symbol of the Thai. This is... This is the problem with Thai. Yeah. <laughs> the, the English isn't the strongest language here in Thailand. So there's errors in the article and says, um, I love the jacket enables me to make a living. I love working as a writer under Food Panda's name, but I hate companies that see people as terrorists. If I end up losing my job because of the stupidity and selfishness of this lousy company, I will gladly embrace it. Uh, wrote one person on Facebook. Food Panda Thailand apologized on Monday via Twitter saying, Food Panda assures freedom of speech and expression is not terrorism uh, and freedom. It's not terrorism and the writer will not be dismissed due to this incident. Ah, so they backtracked due to the strong backlash from people. And it's it's an interesting case of the power of both <laughs> social media and uh, the <clears throat> the challenge of now these um, gig economy players are in a really interesting position and Jay's flashing his mic because Jay works at Food Panda's bigger competitor called Grab, which is also, I think, Grab, um, Jay, you, you obviously uh, might not be able to say anything because Food Panda and Grab are the two big uh, food delivery systems in Thailand. And Jay happens to be rather senior at Grab. And so, Jay, I understand if you can't say anything at all. But... <laughs> I, I can say some things. Um, I mean... Uh, back when we redesigned food, right, our biggest competitor was actually Lineman. Um, and as you know, Lineman's like such a big deal out in Thailand. So um, I will just say that it is unfortunate because I, I do, I'm one of those people that does enjoy competition and wants to see uh, competitors succeed out here. But I think it's a tight, tight rope that a lot of us uh, companies out in Southeast Asia have to walk, right? Because yeah. like you've talked about, right, like the governments really do have more say out here versus like, let's say in America. Uh, so it's a bit of a challenge. And one thing I do want to add is like, uh, I'm actually not on e-commerce anymore. I'm actually doing 
facial recognition, all this stuff that you've been talking about. Mm. And I haven't been able to say much because uh, we are in collaboration with Microsoft and it, it also boils down to governments. But yeah. all I can say is, um, yeah, it, it's some things that we try to do can't fly because of the government, right? And it's it really does, uh, you know, the regulations and actually talking to the governments does matter. And not a lot of people know, I think you would probably know, but Thailand just legalized ride hailing like this year, I believe, right? So um, it's been a fascinating, I guess, adventure for a lot of us at Grab just to, you know, get it legalized, <laughs> specifically in Thailand. So yeah. it's something that a lot of companies have to, you know, figure out before they come out here. Jay, I have a quick question. Oh, go sorry, ahead. Tyler, go ahead. No, go, go. Yeah, yeah, no. So, Jay, so I'm curious, like, so always inspired by people who uh, try and run, you know, these fast growth businesses in Asia, not try, they actually run them and, and grow them uh, from my brief experience in, 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 in you know, in, a, in the Asia, because it's just such a great uh, way to to learn how to run global businesses, right? Because you hit all the issues very quickly, very fast, and you become a much more kind of, uh, you know, faster you can deal with all these, you know, tough issues that in the US, maybe, you know, somebody growing a company in Silicon Valley, uh, um, you know, suddenly hits a global issue. Oh, we got to talk to a government. <laughs> Let's hire a new person that can actually talk, uh, you know, understand politics and understand where that's going. Jay, I, I imagine that you're growing, you, you guys are ambitious, right? Grab's ambitious, and I, I'm not compromising anything about you as a thing, just it's open, you're out there, you want to grow in uh, African countries, you want to grow in uh, other countries, you know, just as an investor, when I look at some of the ambitions you guys have. So it, does that mean you guys kind of have, you, are you guys growing like the capability? Because you've already learned how to work with the government there, right? And all the things you just mentioned, and the nuances, and the trade-offs, et cetera. Is that like a big part? You have a big division, big set of people. Do you train all the leaders to understand, you know, how would you work in Nigeria? How would you work in, you know, these countries? I'm just very curious. I didn't want to take this down that path, but I get curious about those kind of things. And Jay, since you're here, did, did you, you guys doing that? I imagine, well, right? I have, again, I can't really talk about what their plans are, but I do know that um, the CEOs uh, do go through a lot of, let's say training in, in terms of communicating with certain like leaders. Right. And as most people know, like I, I believe um, Anthony Tan, the CEO of Grab was at Davos. Right. I, I believe, was it the year before the pandemic? So there is that type of relationship thing that does happen. Um, and it's very similar to China, right, Cal? So you need to know yeah. the two, yeah. right? So I think that does happen behind the scenes. Uh, and that's pretty much all I can say. So, yeah, no. So I, I just give you a big kudos, like you guys, that kind of training will make you a better global player than some of the challenges the, the, the kind of U.S. players grown in the U.S. going global will have, you know, like Uber or somebody else. But anyway, yeah, well done, man. Jay, so, I wanted to ask you this uh, about Miramar. Uh, uh, Ung Long Sang is a fighter that I got to meet in Florida, and he fights for Miramar and Burma and everything. And, and uh, he's an amazing guy. I, I got to meet him and his family. And uh, he just told me of the struggles over there. So I noticed your podcast. So I just wanted to say hello. And, and uh, do you do that often, your podcasts? Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, feel free to let's uh, DM. Uh, feel free to reach out. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Jay, Jay, you mentioned something I just have to uh, try and uh, poke at, which is the facial recognition part, because that could play into this particular headline, actually, um, which is... Uh, no doubt Thailand will soon have facial recognition kind of everywhere. 
and 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 I'm not picking on Thailand. I, no doubt, facial recognition will be everywhere on the planet in the near future. And if it did exist in this situation, then Food Panda wouldn't have to have done anything. They could just sit back and be like, you know, uh, the cameras are going to take care of this. We don't really need to do anything, and could have avoided this whole situation essentially. Um, so uh, yeah, it's. <clears throat> I wonder. Um, there's all kinds of interesting ways that there's so many benefits to facial recognition. For example, in just in the deliveries, right? Like if if some people have a camera on their front door and somebody does the delivery, it recognizes the driver, it records it, it knows who it was. Anyone else who comes and steals anything off the front porch, it's known who stole it. I mean, it just. We could really debate the the benefits and law, you know, the pluses and minuses of a facial recognition system around the planet. It's, by the way, we have I mean, look at London is covered in cameras. I mean, China is more than anywhere, but so is London, as any Londoner will easily admit. And was that a plus or a minus? And adding facial recognition to those cameras is essentially just making those cameras smarter. A whole lot smarter, a whole lot more effective. I don't. <laughs> I, that is, a, it's a really. Of, of course, there are obvious to adding facial recognition. Every everything everyone does in terms of walking around the city, you have a whole lot of loss of privacy, and there's a whole lot of gain of uh, safety potentially. I mean, crime would be become much more difficult to commit, especially if they add gate recognition meaning which they can do and they have done in hong kong for example where it can identify you by the way that you walk so covering your face isn't gonna you know like evan's doing here on stage isn't gonna help if you're you know robbing a, a supermarket or whatever but um anyway it just i wonder now that you're working in in it what kind of thoughts go through your mind as you're working on it all right, that's a great question. So um, I think it boils down to the governments, right, Tyler? Uh -huh. Like uh, we, we've talked about it. I think with Thailand, though, they they have a diff different verification system. So I actually worked on the alcohol delivery stuff, and you actually have to verify, you know, the 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 youth if they're they're younger than eighteen right. and whatnot. So when yeah. people actually sign up in Thailand to verify who they are, they actually have to take a photo of their ID. So they actually don't do yep. the facial recognition versus like, let's say, I don't know, Malaysia, where you actually have to do take a photo to verify yourself. Yeah. And so it, each by the way, yeah. anyone who's ever visited Thailand knows they record your face when you enter through the airports with a little camera. Everyone has to smile and look at the camera. Um, and now they also added fingerprints starting about a year ago. So everybody's and temperatures for COVID. Yeah. But uh, the the. The cameras at the every airport, every port in in Thailand has been doing face uh, recording for quite a while, for several years now, and now they just added the fingerprint bit about a year ago for everybody. But anyway, I I just wanted just so people know that there's a bit of it already. But sorry to interrupt you, Jay. Yeah, no worries. Um, I am. <laughs> What I can say is I'm working on something related to surveillance. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say. But um, let's just say that you know governments will have the final say in everything that we do so um regardless if it comes out or not i think i've just learned so much and also uh all the stuff that you were talking about with facial recognition and how helpful it is i think it is super helpful and it does solve a lot of the cases uh, whether it's rape 
you know, crime, uh, you know, a passenger attacking a driver or vice versa. But it boils down just to the government. And that's that's how powerful the governments are out here. And people don't realize that until they come out here. And, you know, Uber realized that, the first, you know, when they uh, failed out here. So I think that's something people need to consider. But yeah. yeah. And you're right, because if, if you have a very benevolent government, then it's not really a problem. It's all win-win. But most of the potential downside, most of the negatives disappear if you have a very friendly government. And I'm trying to think of what would be an ideal, very friendly, <laughs> friendly government that everybody, try. I guess Sweden, Sweden would likely not have a problem with uh, facial recognition because they actually really trust the government. Government's really never really done anything egregious against Swedes. Uh, they work on behalf of the people, um, you know, Norway as well, you know, and um, there'd be a whole more, the, the, the balance of upside and downside shift quicks shiftly to the upside in a government that's very benevolent. The opposite is also true, of course, where if you have governments that are have histories of using information against people or, or have rather authoritarian tendencies, then you start to amplify the negatives of the technology rather than the positives. So you're right. It is entirely down to the government and how they use that information. Yeah. And it's also connected to um, what you also talked about, right? Because there is this partnership with larger tech companies, and that comes into play with larger tech companies having that juicy, juicy data, right? So I think that's something that people need to realize, that these partnerships do matter long term. Yep. Okay. So there's someone in the audience named Safe who's DMing me that he's got a headline to share. So Safe... I, have you been listening to tech news around the world before? Is this is today your first day? Yes, yes. Trying almost all of um, be here all the time. Okay. First of all, thank you for inviting me upstage. Sure. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Yeah. What's up? Oh, um, so I was in a room before this, uh, which uh, which was titled "The Future of Food and uh, Hospitality." Uh huh. And uh, one of the gentlemen from the audience uh, came up to the stage, and uh, he said his friend in India. Uh, he actually um, uh, developed or, or created honey um, by understanding how bees make them in the first place. Um, so it spooked out the whole room and then I reached out to him um, and I told him on the stage if he can share some sample with me so that I can test it. And uh, I'm, I'm waiting on the sample. So it's honey made without bees, but it's real honey? Yes. So the process, uh, exactly how the bees do it that is what he claims so uh, i thought that is interesting to worth a share um and then the conversation later went on to uh, uh the ethical of um, uh, of uh, vegan bees That's um uh, vegan wild. honey sorry yeah so synthetic honey yeah synthetic honey uh, it is basically he was trying to argue that uh, it is yeah it is kind of artificial honey but exactly the process how bees make it can do you can you try and ping him into the room? That'd be fantastic to hear what, what, uh, what that's about. I I have, I'm afraid I'm I didn't follow him. So uh, if I hear from him on that, that could be um, useful technology yeah, once once we get once all the bees uh, that die as a result of our other <laughs> unintended <laughs> technologies. The, the yeah, problem I, is you're you're gonna have to uh, figure out how to pollinate all of our plants. At yes. The same time. Now, yeah, well, so, we can we hey one step at a so time, Jeff. We can figure that out. Extracting pollen. Um, <laughs> he was talking about extracting pollen and such. So I will reach out to him now and see if he's available to get into the room. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you for that. What? That's a wild idea. I had never heard of that. Although it makes a lot of sense because the bees aren't 
they're not exactly doing magic <laughs> to make honey. Like there's, there's certainly something you can like observe with cameras to see what it is they're doing and replace it with little, you know, little drone. Yeah. Yeah. That's and wild. And we had another expert who also said, uh, so the, I asked the question. But I think, uh, that, you know wait, 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 isn't, isn't honey them? like bee vomit? They actually like, it comes out of their stomach. That could be difficult no. to replicate. Um, so he said that it is their food. Um, and uh, that is the um, answer to vegan honey um, and the ethics around that topic. Okay. Well, we shall see. Now let's get into the top 10 headlines of the day, of the moment, of right now, of happy Thursday, everybody, July 22nd. There's a bunch of top headlines as we do each day. These And these are the ones that everybody's talking about on the planet, uh, like your coworkers and your stupid cousins and whatnot. So um, just to be informed with what all the regular folks are talking about, we're going to go through them in in order from the most talked about doing the top 10. And then we're going to go into the actual interesting articles that the more savvy geeks have found all around the interwebs. And those are far more interesting and and are more helpful in figuring out where the world is going day by day. But uh, before we get into the top 10, is anyone particularly burning uh, with with one that we, we need to dive into before we get into the top 10? No? Going once? Going twice? Um, Take me one on TikTok's algorithms. Okay. I thought that was interesting. What is it? It's basically, uh, uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. and it's mostly a video that they, they attached to an article. They basically uh, said how t- uh, how the TikTok algorithms work work because they, they they created like a, dump, a bunch of dummy accounts and they did bots and they and they said it comes down to basically one thing: all the other stuff that people think matters, followers, all of that doesn't matter. Basically, the thing that matters most is um, how much time you spent looking at a particular video. And they, and they use that kind of video. Like if, you use, if, if it's a video about car racing, they, they, if you w- watch it for 60 seconds or you replay it, they figure out you're interested in that. And then if, it, and if there's a video on dogs and you skip that, they know you're not interested in that. So it's all, they, they figure out what to show you based on your history of what you watch, not more than anything else. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it makes some sense. Um, and and by the way, it's, gonna, it's going. You're, we're going to see a lot more of this because it's going going to become very valuable to deconstruct the algorithms because Instagram influencers have all. You see it here in Clubhouse. By the way, there's rooms all the time about Clubhouse uh, uh, Instagram secrets of how to become more influential on Instagram. And you know th- what they're doing is they're figuring out the algorithm so that they can figure out how to be more visible, gain more visibility inside of Instagram, for example, or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever. And that's fine. But all they're going to get is likes and hearts and follows. Now, that's as you know, if you follow us here every day at Tech News Around the World, that's very soon about to become e-commerce, meaning it's it's not just hearts and likes and follows. It's dollar dollar bills, y'all. It's going to be raining, making it rain, making cash that cash cash money. And then all of a sudden, you're going to see an absolute obsession about these algorithms in a way that because it's now people's livelihoods, right? So the amount of attention paid to these algorithms is going to go berserk, and it's going to become incredibly valuable information to figure out, uh, you know, how do I get 10% more visibility? That's that's 10% more money in your pocket uh, in, in the case that you're building your business in, you know, on these apps. 10% more income is not trivial. So you can understand why people are going to become obsessed with these algorithms. 
and start to do all kinds of crazy things. And you're even going to have some of the employees, uh, those companies need to understand that their algorithm, uh, the, the amount of focus and attention that people are paying on those algorithms now, nobody's actually willing to like cyber hack them to figure out their algorithms just to get more followers. But when you when there's millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, yeah, people are going to cyber attack you to try and figure out, you know, get inside the algorithms. They're going to be interviewing your employees who work on those teams. Shit's going to go bananas. And they need to start looking at their algorithms much more closely in the same way that Google does around their search algorithm. Because that's that is one place where people do make real money is in what's called SEO and SEO search engine optimization is an entire industry related to one company which is google because they're really the only search when we say seo it applies to google and really nobody else so and that's an industry yeah about a month ago yeah uh bite dance i don't remember i think we talked about it yes about a month ago bite dance packaged up all of its apis related to ai and basically made them available for anyone that wants to plug them into any application yes um, and there is tons of stuff. It goes right across everything they do, from music to TikTok to the algorithms for uh, videos, etc. I would imagine that's what they've used here to to run the bots against. And it's going to be fascinating to see what people start plugging all of those APIs into and start building on top. But... Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is Michelle speaking. Just to add something quickly on that. I think that's already the case when it comes to advertising and the reality is that those algorithms are dynamics because we know obviously that people are trying to understand how the ranking works. They change. I think the downside is people giving advice and obviously it's not like we'll correct the advice we get because there are so many experts in the algorithm, but I think only barely 20% of what they're sharing is accurate. But Correct. Yeah. And, And as you said, they're dynamic. They change all the time, like on a weekly basis. And I'll give, let me give you a humdinger of a story. The startup that I was part of uh, in 2007, we were we we figured out Google's algorithm. It wasn't that complex back in 2007, and we realized that a key thing. And they were they were actually a bit transparent about it at the time because back in 2007, there wasn't a tremendous emphasis uh, on SEO back then because there wasn't a lot of money to be made on the internet like there is today. So it wasn't as um, you know frothy, uh, you could say. So anyway. The algorithm was much more simple back then. They were a little more transparent back then. And there were bloggers who used to work at Google who even would say on their blog, like, here's, you know, some of the things we did and blah, blah, blah. So we built a company similar to Wikipedia. And you no doubt you remember that Wikipedia used to get a lot of traffic back in 2007. Like it was usually in the top three for most of the stuff you searched for. You remember this back then where there was always a week, right? So the reason for that is because back then the algorithm within Google was the more pages that linked to your page, the higher you would rank essentially to oversimplify it. But that was certainly one of the key uh, variables in the in the algebraic equation, which is get if you can get a thousand pages to link to you or 10,000 pages to link to you, that's a high, high signal of quality uh, to Google to rank your page very highly especially if the link, you know how a link can, it's a hyperlink and the the link itself can be a word. So if they're linking to your page with the word, I don't know, honey. And so you've got 10,000 pages all linking to you with the word honey, then your page probably should rank really high when somebody searches on Google for honey. It's called inbound links, right? With anchor text. So 
Wikipedia does this because when you're on Wikipedia and you're reading an article about, you know, World War II, there's a link about, you know, Auschwitz or whatever. And, you know, all the other pages on Wikipedia that mention Auschwitz all link to the Auschwitz page and it gets ranked very highly. Right. Makes sense. Now, when the uh, that taking that same idea, most entities on the Internet are only 10 pages long. Most websites are only 10, 20 pages, maybe. Maybe there's some that get up to 30. But Wikipedia was 100,000 pages. And that gave them this advantage of having, you know, so many inbound links to all their internal pages. And that's why it ranks so high. I think you understand where I'm going with. So we made a company that was similar to Wikipedia in format based on the Wikia, the the architecture. And it was kind of like a a Wikipedia for uh, uh, making a search engine. Imagine how Wikipedia is has links at the bottom at the bottom of every article it's like here's like three more links re, you know stories related to this topic and those are usually those are hand selected by a human editor who found three really good links they're usually very high quality they're usually the three best links you can find on the internet about whatever's at the bottom of that article and that that was sort of the idea is what if we took 20 links the 20 best links and had a human go around the web and find the 20 best links and put those together. And we did that. We were making tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pages. And we built this huge thing and they were all linked to each other. And we started ranking number one for everything, 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 everything. And Google realized, ah, we don't like this. Now you have a company who raised $20 million building a huge, huge website, far bigger than a normal website with hundreds of thousands of pages all linking to each other. Of course, they're going to rank number one for everything. And Google realized we need to change the algorithm because the people writing those pages are not experts on the topics they're writing about, right? You have some nobody writing a page about golf, and that shouldn't be that way. If Tiger Woods writes a page about golf, he should rank number one, regardless of which website he's on. So they had to fundamentally change their complete, complete reimagination of the algorithm so that it was based on the individual and the expertness or authent- the, uh, the, yeah, the authenticity of the expert's uh, you know, value is the b- basis of the page, not the architecture of the website and how many inbound links that it has. So they fundamentally changed it. And then you know, uh, a lot of companies died very quickly as a result of that. Uh, and um, there you go. But yes, keep in mind that these algorithms fundamentally change. And when people start gaming and build in and it gets too lucrative to you can go out and raise money to build a thing on top of this that's what's going to happen here now that these sites are going to become e-commerce you're going to have people building huge businesses on top of TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat because they're e-commerce and they're going to become experts in those algorithms and then it might give asymmetrical advantages because the big companies that have raised money now have resources to hire teams of experts to become masters of those algorithms. And that might mean that the best products and services aren't what appear. It's what will appear as whoever was able to hire these experts of the algorithms. And now you see the problem. So then the app says, ah, the really good content, the really good products are kind of hidden because they can't afford to hire experts to figure out our algorithms. And then they have to continue to play this cat and mouse game of updating their algorithms to give a fair advantage to everybody and dis kind of use their experts knowledge against them almost. And that's what happened in SEO, in fact. So 
it's wild. And just a yeah. quick one on that. Um, yeah, so I think you have a point there. So that's why we call it best practices. We have the best practices, yeah. And some companies can afford having the expert that can actually help them rank high. But all the, I managed to hack the algorithm. Usually I would say most of it is BS because that's, that doesn't work that way, you know. So I, that's kind of what yeah. I want to clarify. Well, what, like. what they start doing is that the apps, meaning Facebook and Google, and soon we can add Instagram and Snapchat and all of these. They'll start watching what the quote unquote experts are doing in terms of their behavior and then say, ah, OK, here's what the experts are doing. OK, if you're doing that, then we know you're experts. OK, so we need to actually use that as a as a signifier of lower quality. And it kind of is become self-defeating. It's it's wild how the algorithms mature to a state where if you really start doing all of what is supposed to be what an expert would do, it actually starts p slightly penalizing you in a weird way. And it becomes this r really interesting um, uh, evolution of the algorithm. So anyway, going into the let's do the top 10 stories. Thank you. I, yes, Mahogany. I have a quick one. Go um, for my professional geography. Um Finally, after the announcement in December of the Salesforce and Slack acquisition, it closed yesterday. That's right. And yeah, and so um, folks are like, why did that take so long? I don't have insight there, but um, what this means now is that Salesforce is going to officially start talking about uh, their, their bigger plans, which is basically like integrating Slack throughout all of their suite of products. That's it. Yeah, so if you if you were a Slack shareholder like myself, you woke up and realized, oh, where did my Slack stock go? It's now become Salesforce stock. <laughs> and you're like, I don't own Salesforce. What the hell happened here? And then you remember, oh, yeah, Salesforce bought Slack. And so now you're holding a bunch of shares of Salesforce when you previously held shares of Slack. And yeah, Salesforce has been on a tear, you know, for the past decade. And But they bought Slack because it's not, easy it's, and it's barely even possible to remain to contain that level of growth of salesforce which is why they bought slack because slack is a potential avenue to more growth and now salesforce has reached that stage of maturity as a big tech company where it becomes difficult to maintain growth because they've dominated one particular industry they've got to diversify and get into other fast-growing industries and start buying up the lead horses uh in those other industries like they bought slack and I think it's a good acquisition, but they're going to have to buy five more like that to maintain the level of growth that Salesforce had. Tyler, yeah. I, I noticed that Messi had unmuted and she was going to oh, okay. say something. Good I wanted eye. to give her a chance. And <laughs> also the flags, if everybody checks their flags, I noticed Messi, you have an interesting flag. So does Shane. Whatever your first flag is in your bio, and I noticed that a whole bunch of people have flags in there. And uh, just check what your first flag is. That's now showing up on your profile. So if you intended it to be there for some other reason, like I noticed they had plus and minuses and adding a couple flags together for different stuff, make sure the flag you want displayed is in the front or eliminate all flags from your bio so they don't show up on your profile photo. That's my news. Yeah, Thank for, you. Go yeah, ahead, just, yeah, yeah. So Jeff broke some news here when we met last time about 12 hours ago, which is there's a new update to Clubhouse. 
And this is one of the big headlines of the day. In fact, this is the second biggest story in all of tech at the moment. So let's just go to number two and then we'll go back to number one. Number, the, here's the second biggest story of the day. Let's do it. Are we ready? Let's do it. Don't forget Messi. Here we go. All right. <laughs> hold, hold that thought, Messi. We've got Clubhouse is no longer invite only as it exits beta. It's officially Clubhouse 1.0 is the app version. And it says that 10 million people on the wait list will be added to the app over time and Clubhouse is going wide. The co-founders announced today that the app is no longer invite-only. You don't need an invite at all. Anyone can download it and start using it, and that's all gravy. And they've added some new features to the new version of 1.0 that we are now on, which is, as Jeff was just saying, most people have flags next to their face. So you can see ostensibly what country they're from. However, the flag has been determined uh, is a result of Whatever flag you have uh, listed in your bio, if you have any, the first flag chronologically in your bio will be put as the flag on your face. So be mindful of that. And then also uh, whatever you have put your settings to in Apple iOS uh, also has some bearing on it because the folks in Taiwan have a Taiwanese flag. But there's some Taiwanese who had their phone set to China. And when they set their phone to China, the Taiwanese flag disappears. It turns into a, a little box with an X over it. And there was some people trying to investigate, you know, is Clubhouse anti-Taiwan or something like that? Turns out that's not the case. It's just that in, in China, there's no the Taiwanese flag doesn't exist in the, in the iPhone itself. So it, it's it, clearly there's it has something to do with the settings of what you say your your country is in the phone itself. As, uh, as a quick quick comment on yeah. on that, that's yeah. right, um, Coach. I think you're going to be explaining that forever. Um, the way that works is it, 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 just consider a show pro flag on profile question mark set in the settings, and then if you set that, you choose your flag, and then then all of this goes you know goes away. Just as simple. Like, the the UX of it scanning your profile and finding the first flag. I think it's going to always you're going to be in clubhouse rooms all day forever explaining that. I reckon anyway. Yeah. Just a thought. Okay. Yeah, and then they can change that to something else or whatever they want. So it's just flags right now for the Olympics is what they uh, explain. Oh, I see the Olympics. Yeah. So yeah, and then and I imagine if they wanted to point it at some other type of emoji, they could do that. And that's why the UN flag, and then it looks like the California flag for Shane or something else. All these interesting flags can be underneath there. Oh, you qualified the LGBTQ flag as well so that'd be so the rainbow flag doesn't work um and this is a flag for Antarctica. it's scientifically neutral is why i selected it hmm. oh wow cool so other uh, top the top story going back to story number one twitter is testing a way to downvote uh tweets on ios to understand the types of replies users find relevant to the conversation and i'm going to tweet this out on Twitter right now, so you can you kind of got to see what I'm talking about. Um, and let me explain it verbally for those who are unable to check our Twitter account. They just tweeted um, this one out. And basically, when when you're looking at a Twitter feed, what you will notice is, hang on. Um, and by the way, the source of this, as usual, is our friend Jane Wong from Hong Kong. And um, they're testing all kinds. And by the way, the, the team at Twitter who d is designing this res responded to Jane. And I and I tweeted this out, I think, uh, a few hours ago when I saw that Jane had discovered this. And it included Twitter's, the team member at Twitter who's building this 
said to her exactly. Jane said, oh, holy cow, you can now give a negative reaction to a, to a comment on a tweet. So somebody does a tweet and then somebody replies to the tweet. And maybe you have five people reply to the tweet. And now when somebody replies to a tweet, when you're looking at those replies, you can, there's an up arrow and a down arrow, like on Reddit. There's also a thumbs up or a thumbs down, depending their beta testing. They're what's doing called ABCD testing, where they're putting out all kinds of options on different users around the planet to see which one gets the most engagement. Uh, do people like the arrows up and down to, um, you know, vote on uh, a, a, a reply to a tweet or do they like, you know, uh, thumbs up and thumbs down more of a Facebook style or YouTube style, which uses thumbs up and thumbs down or arrows like they do on Reddit or hearts like Twitter's traditionally done. But interestingly, it seems that we will likely be able to um, all vote on the replies of tweets and even even put give negatives. Uh, which is kind of interesting and maybe the the most liked one will come to the top but the the brilliance of this is that now it inspires users to give very thoughtful replies to tweets because if you give a thoughtful reply to a tweet people will vote vote it up and it'll be very visible and you'll be the first reply to the tweet because you have 25 thumbs ups or or arrows ups or likes or whatever and then you start getting a lot more visibility inside of Twitter, because now what's going to happen is every celebrity who tweets, who has lots of followers, this now essentially becomes a competition to have the most liked reply, because currently the replies are chronological. You see who replied first and then second and then third or fourth for the most part. And now if you have a very witty response or an insightful response, you get to be the first reply. Then people see who you are and, you know, it's going to gamify. It adds a gaming layer to Twitter that doesn't quite exist to date. So sorry, who did I interrupt there? Oh, it's okay, Tyler. What I was going to say is this is super interesting because what you said about upvote and downvote, that's how it is in Reddit. Right. So it's a very interesting dynamic because I think it also allows people to really, like you just said, stop and read what they're retweeting or what they're up, what they're liking. So it does give an, an essence of that someone actually also is reading it instead of just blindly going in, like for the bots, for example. Like bots can also upvote, th- can also go all over Twitter and all over Instagram and start commenting on ha, things. Ha, ha, Amy, you just figured something out. Two things you and, just implied there that are really, really, And there's really... another feature, Tyler, yeah. regarding reading, which I noticed yesterday, which is that if I, I went to just retweet an article you'd sent out from the BBC, I thought it's BBC, I've heard it before, I trust this article. I'll just click retweet. And Twitter said, you're retweeting something you haven't read, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you sure you want to do that? And, yes. And... Uh, that's quite so that's old. Just to throw that in. That one's that quite old. Is it? I've had that for yeah, whew, that one's been, that many one's months. Been there before. Yeah. That one's oh, been I've never there seen before. that one before. But and and that's a lovely new that's a lovely feature that they have. However, to your point, Amay, is the obviously one of the other benefits of doing this is people who leave really stupid comments will get voted down, and they'll learn that they're an idiot because everyone keeps voting their stuff down and it'll push their comments down and we don't have to see their comments, which is that it kind of fixes that kind of problem of stupid comments as well. But to your point is uh, uh, assumedly, ostensibly bots will come in and start liking, you know, stuff and down liking other stuff 
right? And you could get really clever, crafty um, hacker types, you know, making bot armies to come in and upvote and downvote stuff, unless they do identity verification inside Twitter and they're able to stop all those bots because bots would wreak havoc with all of that upvoting and downvoting. Bo bots, have, bots have corrupted the entire advertising system since advertising for clicks has, it, it has existed. And now that, now that Apple's basically obscuring that data from a large portion of, of, of these sites, they're having to find other strategies, right? And, and that's part of it too. So Bots are going to become useless on, you know, to, to penetrate Twitter the way they penetrate Reddit right now, right? Reddit's famous for bots downvoting stuff. And, you know, you're going to have much more focus on this identity so that everything that's going on is actually humans are doing it. So if they do it, they have the accountability and traceability to a identified human. Yes, I'm, but I'm, I'm wondering if them adding this functionality implies that they have aspirations of bringing in identity verification because they they must know that doing this i i i had i had uh, my own personal belief that they were going to bring in identity verification as well as um crypto um and essentially it's like okay well if uh, a certain high profile individual who may or may not have formerly been our president um instead of silencing him um from a platform make him pay more to tweet <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have a crypto system and, and basically, you know, that that becomes how, how you uh, enforce the identity as well as punish those that you don't want to hear from. So so it's that concept you described, Tyler, as the difference between freedom of speech and freedom of reach. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's kind of my two cents. I'm okay. sorry. I've been out for a couple of days. Tyler. I'm excited to be back. Twitter employee just... here. Um, I, I worked at Twitter. Oh, yeah. 20, Jay worked well, at Twitter. 2013. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they actually did experiment with this. This conversation came up. And I think there were a lot of issues with what Ame just mentioned, right? The bot thing was definitely a consideration back then. Yep. yep. Uh, along with that, then there's the debate between, oh, favorites versus upvotes, downvotes, right? So I think uh, we did try to A-B test it back then. But unfortunately... Um, it, you know, they're just like, uh, eh, we're just not going to focus our attention to it, but it's fa very fascinating to see it come back, uh, to the, to, to now. And it's going to be fascinating to see what they do with the subscription model. Um, you know, Twitter blue sky with this as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Well, you, well, blue, blue, blue to, sky is decentralized Twitter to, for those who, yeah, yeah. go ahead, Amy. To Jay's point, I totally agree because the strategic component of it, which, you know, Jay's already kind of, they saw it, they didn't see it valuable. They didn't probably proactively see the forecast of the way the industry was going. And now they're, they're sort of a bit backpedaling to pick it back up and sort of going a little bit fast and a little bit maybe chaotic for some because they're testing a couple of things at once. However, to the point of Blue Sky and decentralizing it, it does give the possibility of what Jack's bigger vision could be. Because that's where you start to see where the bigger vision is. Because if the bigger vision is to make this decentralized at some point, they're going to have to start adding tools in. Or they're going to have to start seeing what tools work, what interoperability they have, how they could be scaled, how they could be safe. So I think to Jay's point, they're probably seeing like, oh, shit, we should have done this before. And now they're like, OK, let's, let's do more of it now so that we can at least proactively know what's going on for our product as it moves forward. Mm -hmm. So number three article, the FTC formally pledges to fight unlawful right to repair. 
restrictions says that it will use its power to lower repair costs and support independent repair shops. I personally like this. Let's debate it. Because. Yeah, I'm a fan of that too. Yeah, the Apple has gone. Me personally, if you live in a city with an Apple store, you're you're consider yourself very lucky. That's most of the world doesn't have that opportunity. Even Apple users who live in parts of the world without Apple stores, you're pretty much fucked because Apple insists on you taking it to them to repair it. That's fine if you have one to go to. What if you happen to live in a place where it takes an airplane to get to an Apple store? Also, Tyler. Yeah. There was um the argument that these stores, uh, sorry, these companies like Apple was making is that if you don't go with an authorized retailer who fixes your phone um, through us, then you run some risks. Um, and there was a case where a woman did that and uh, nude photos of her were uploaded to her Facebook account as a result by the technicians fixing her phone. So that whole point about we do things more securely is now moot. Um, that I, that wasn't the only one, but it was the most recent and drastic one. So I think they're losing ground when it comes to we do it best. We we uh, <laughs> have your best interest in mind and that sort of thing. I'm done speaking. Yeah, so but most there of... is another. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. Well, there's another thing to throw in the mix, which is actually doing it yourself. I mean, you don't have to be an Uber geek. You have to have the confidence of an Uber geek, uh, but you don't have to be an Uber geek when it comes down to it. There are kits on Amazon where you can like replace a phone battery or whatever. The older the phone, the easier it is to do. As they've got more and more waterproof, the glue has got stronger and stronger. Pulling the screen off requires more and more heat, which gets more and more unnerving. But if you've got the confidence to do it and you don't mind following some simple instructions, you can do this shit yourself. And to get an example, uh, a battery change, with all the gear needed to do it, which comes in a kit off Amazon, is like $30, $35, something like that. So it can be ridiculously cheap and no one's going to upload your, your photos. But it is getting much harder with time, not only because glues are getting stronger, but also iPhone parts. Some of the parts are now digitally coded to that particular device. So you can't swap out the camera module or this module or that module from one iPhone to another because they're all digitally coded together at the factory for, in quote, security. But that might have a big impact on your, your ability to repair. You bring up an interesting point, though, Ben, because... The hardware manufacturers, hint, hint, Apple, will likely <laughs> divide if this goes through. It has gone through. It's official. Like they're doing this. They formally adopt the right to repair thing. And now you might see Apple get very creative about the incredibly interesting types of screws that they use to undo these, to open these devices. It, it, it's beyond the screws, though. Like, for example, on the MacBook Airs and everything else, they've gone to soldered on RAM, which is like almost unheard of. Uh, tr in traditional you know pcs and stuff right. and that, that that's purely like you know to keep you from upgrading it right so they're going to get very crafty in in divine designing the devices to make it actually very yeah. difficult for you to repair no connectors yeah. you know no connectors uh unibody like like uh the whole thing's going to be super super <laughs> super glue yeah yeah it's going to be one big unibody printed device that you there's nothing to well, repair that's the m that's the m1 right the, the m1s system on a chip i mean all the rams on there the gpus on there the cpus on there so the yeah. less and less discrete components. And you can be absolutely sure that an individual can't do anything to an to a system on a chip. I mean, you just don't have the, the facilities to even begin. Someone did do a, um, a RAM swap on it, but it was it took, like you said, a crazy facility. But the, the reality is, is the vast majority of repairs are the screen and then the battery. I mean, that, that those two alone cover 90% yeah. of phone repairs. So, uh... 
let people change their goddamn broken screens and fix their batteries. Holy cow. And if they don't and they go the opposite direction and do what we're suggesting is actually intentionally make it more difficult. I think you're going to start seeing people switching off of iPhones to other devices that do make it more easy to do that. So it's, it's, they just want they, they want to push Apple Care though, right? Because Apple Care is now a, like a nine dollar a month service, and you know if you think of it like as insurance, then and that's fine you know. if you have if you are near a place where you can do that. Cause no, you're that. right. You're right, Tyler. I, I think that's the that's the that's the fork in the road, Tyler. If you're near, I mean, I'm you know 15 minutes from an Apple store, so I buy a new iPhone every two or three years because I buy one every year as egregious, and when I have an issue. Uh, you take it down. Apple Care is actually pretty good in that case. You know, I dropped my phone, front and back were broken. They just thought I'll just swap the whole phone out. They're pretty, you know, if you pay through the nose for the Apple Care. But if you're not near one of those Apple stores, I think that's a hugely different experience suddenly. Okay. You're into posting your phone off somewhere, etc. So I totally agree with that. I've got a rare confession that there actually is a major downside to living on a remote tropical island is there's no Apple stores here. <laughs> so the... Uh, and when you when your phone gets broken and you find the nearest authorized repair center is many, many hours away and you get to that repair center and you let them repair their phone. And unfortunately, that repair person is really subpar to other people or even yourself in being able to repair the phone. It becomes incredibly frustrating. And then, you know, the, the, the option is, OK. But uh, if the phone you have to do these insurance schemes with the actual uh, mobile carrier that you buy the phone from, like you go to the, the local, you know, orange shop uh, near you or the AT&T shop or whatever. And they have an insurance policy, which is if something happens, uh, you can pay this small you buy the insurance from them and they have a shop. They have shops around that you can get to and then you pay a little fee and you get a brand new phone or you do uh, another plan is uh, your broken device. You then just mail to a friend who lives near a store and you say, Merry Christmas, one, you know, early, early birthday present to you <laughs> and you buy a new device um, or you do the both and you get the the uh, it, it's it's wild. I thank God they're changing this. And so because there are it is not complicated to replace a screen it sh and it certainly shouldn't be. And nor should the battery be, and that is the overwhelming, yeah, ninety. Tyler, I think I think what uh, Apple is uh, have been looking for um, just just uh, is is reliable partners to do it, so they can they can protect their reputation. In the U.S., they did the deal with Geek Squad and Best Buy, and so you can take it there, and that allows you to get to like you know whatever a thousand whatever you know different stores, and you might be able to. Uh, find somebody locally and they can actually, you know, do one big deal. And I know the Geek Squad agents are Apple trained and, uh, and have to be pretty high standards. And, uh, and so there's like kind of a reliable brand, but that they found really hard to find globally. I remember way back in the early discussions in China, Apple was very supportive of us, you know, going fast and furious in opening up Best Buy stores in China when we talked to their leadership at the time, uh, because because of that, they, you know, they couldn't open up enough of that, but then they went off to open up a whole bunch of theirs, but they're not, you're right. It's not very local uh, with Best Buy in the U S you might have a better service there, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's a tough experience. Let's, let's move it on. Chris. 
Oh, last, last, last one is, um, you know, GameStop also kind of comes into the equation is because if they're really trying to change up their business model, that was my thought is that if they offered mobile repairs, this would really open up their business too. Yeah. So next big article is that Grindr, which you think of Tinder for the homosexual community, has a track record of saying that the data shared, they share data with brokers. Oh, lovely. Uh, but they say that the data <coughs> is encrypted <coughs> and unidentifiable despite the use of such data to out a Catholic priest. Yesterday, 24 hours ago, we read the headline from the Washington Post and the New York Times and other that a top U.S. Catholic church official resigns after the Catholic uh, blog had identified him through his Grinder app data. And so now that puts a little pressure on Grinder as to say, hey, uh, your data is being used to out your own um, community. So what do you have to say for yourself? And they say, oh, but we it's unidentifiable. Well, if you follow uh, tech news around the world every day, you realize that there are tables of information that are available where you can cross-reference the uh, uh, anonymized data to the individuals. So the anonymized data is, might be the device ID, and all it is is some number around the device or some advertisement, you know, cookie ID. And there are these incredible, it's like a phone directory. You just go, and these, these phone directories basically have everybody. Everybody's device is cross-referenceable to their actual identity. And so you get this anonymized data. Well, it's not anonymized for long. You just take it over to one of these lookup tables, plug in the number, boom, and then it will tell you who the individual is. So it's claiming that it's you only have anonymized data doesn't really work anymore. And so the article today is, a priest was outed by his iPhone's data location. Anyone could be next. The latest scandal to rock the Catholic Church was both incredibly unnerving and entirely preventable. Why isn't anyone doing anything about it? Uh, this week got, but, but let's get into this, uh, yeah, this article about the grinder and their data. Is that the one? It was the one I was reading. Yeah, it was. Tyler, and, can I quickly build on the, the priest one, just in a synthetic sure. data context? Yep. So, so, so like, um, synthetic data, like simplistically is obviously does what it says in the tin. It's, it's artificial created by the machine. So this is really important. And actually when you were talking about Facebook, about um, Salesforce and where they're going to get their growth, I predict it's going to be in this data space, Tyler, rather than the acquisition of like um, other like feature sets type stuff. So the so what for this is um, synthetic data can be built by one of two ways. Either you can, you know, say, Tyler, I've got 50 data points on you. I obfuscate like the top 10 ones and then I use some of the other ones and then I cook up some data to create the new 50 and then I've got a copycat in my synthetic data. Uh, database so that but the, the kind of market is looking at this and going well is this a bit dodgy because people could infer could get to tighter through some of the obfuscated stuff so i, I just think it's it's kind of it's more of a technical point tutter but i do predict this synthetic data thing to go gangbusters in the next sort of 12 months especially for the startups who don't have access to what the, the fangs have got, i.e. the big data sets, they're going to look to synthetic data to cook up their products. That was it. I agree with Dave because also one of the acquisitions that doesn't get enough attention is uh, Tableau and some of the developer tools like um, Heroku and Middleware. They're uh, really going on the data side, AI side of things. And I think that's 
a move for not just enterprise tools because Salesforce wants to go uh, middle market and low market too. So I agree with Dave on that point. Hmm. So yeah, um, it's just people need to be aware that I'm. I think people the the general public is starting to become aware of due to Pegasus and stories like this. Everyone's going to get the correct idea that there's no hiding of anything. Um, if you're online in any kind of way, if you have a device uh, that's connected to the internet, anything you do on that device could, as Charles said here yesterday on stage, and as you know, my most uh, geeky friends take the same perspective that they they assume that everything they say and do on a device is will be on the front page of the New York Times, and that's just sort of the hygiene that you sort of have to live with in 2021, uh, and at least for the time being. And the next story uh, kind of highlights this as well. And the next story is Spanish police have arrested um, Joseph O'Connor, a UK citizen. Um, at the request of the US, Uncle Sam told the Spanish police to arrest UK citizen Joseph O'Connor over his alleged involvement in last year's hack of high-profile Twitter accounts. And you might recall that even Elon Musk's and Bill Gates' Twitter accounts got hacked briefly, and it forced Twitter to shut down all verified accounts momentarily because they were worried that, like, holy shit, if they got Bill Gates and Elon Musk, they must have all of the verified accounts. <clears throat> and um, so there was a bit of a panic, and they shut down all verified accounts from tweeting temporarily. And then they, they clearly they think they know who the person is now. Uh, apparently 20 years old or whatever. Where, where, what does it say here? UK man arrested over 2020 tweet celebrity hacks. He allegedly compromised TikTok and Snapchat accounts too. Authorities are still cracking down on participants in the July 2020 Twitter celebrity attacks. Spanish police have arrested UK citizen Joseph O'Connor at the US request over his alleged involvement in compromising over 130 Twitter accounts. Officials didn't detail how he contributed to the campaign, but O'Connor has also been charged with hijacking TikTok and Snapchat accounts, as well as cyber-stalking a juvenile victim. O'Connor faces a total of 10 charges, including six related to unauthorized computer access, two for cyber-stalking, and one each for extortion and threats. The Twitter hacks compromised accounts for a wide range of companies and personalities, including Apple, Uber, Elon Musk, and eventual U.S. President Joe Biden. The attacker's apparently used social engineering to gain access to the internal Twitter tools and per, and promote a Bitcoin scam. It didn't take long for police to arrest the claimed mastermind. Teen hacker Graham Ivan Clark, who later pled guilty to 30 charges, O'Connor's arrest won't topple the criminal organization. As a result, however, it's evident that the U.S. authorities want to send a message to would-be social media hackers. Those perpetrators are risking serious charges, even if they're not primarily responsible for the attacks. Joseph's going to have to head into that confession box, Tyler. Yeah, me, a little time in the seen. Amazon box. <laughs> little finger pen painting for our friend Joseph. California Department of Employment and Housing has sued Activision <laughs> Blizzard for sexual harassment of and discrimination against its female staff. Say what? Oh, uh, say, huh? What is this about? Um, it says, video game giant Activision Blizzard, which makes... Tremendously huge titles, uh, maker of games including World of Warcraft and Diablo, fosters a frat boy culture in which female employees are subject to constant sexual harassment, unequal pay, and retaliation, according to a lawsuit filed 
by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. A two-year investigation by the state agency found that the company discriminated against female employees in terms of conditions of employment, including compensation, assignment, promotion, and termination. Company leadership consistently failed to take steps to prevent discrimination, harassment, and retaliation, the agency said. According to the complaint, filed Tuesday in the L.A. Superior Court, female employees make up around 20% of the activation workforce and subjected to a pervasive frat boy workplace culture, including cube crawls in which male employees drink copious amounts of alcohol as they crawl their way through various cubicles in the office and often engage in inappropriate behavior towards female employees. The agency alleges male employees play video games during the workday while delegating responsibility to female employees engage in sexual banter and joke openly about rape, among other things. Female employees alleged being held back from promotions because of the possibility they might become pregnant, being criticized for leaving to pick up their children up from daycare and being kicked out of uh, lactation rooms so male colleagues could use the rooms for meetings and on and on and on. So I'm retweeting this one out to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW, where we tweet all of the stories. And that was... Hello, that's a great advert for um, the other club, you know, the New York Tech Girls Roosting New York tech girls roasting tech bros. Have you yeah. heard that one? Yeah. 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 And then the net, that was like number five. Number six is facial recognition company Clearview AI raises $30 million Series B amid legal and ethical concerns with new investors requesting they not be publicly identified. And this is from Kashmir Hill from the New York Times, which is, uh, uh, who Charles, who's in the audience, by the way, hang, hanging out low in San Diego, uh, chilling. Um, isn't that isn't that kind of hilarious, though, that the company that makes its money identifying people has investors that don't want to be. It's identified. a little it's a little ironic. It's a little ironic. But uh, yeah, but it's incredibly valuable. And the investors, uh, what does it say? Clearview AI is currently the largest of multiple the target of more multiple class action lawsuits and joint investigation by Britain and Australia that hasn't kept investors away. The New York-based startup, which scraped billions of photos from public profiles, uh, it's a paywalled article on New York Times, but um, it talks about Peter Thiel and uh, yeah, it's wildly used, like ubiquitously, and it's, it's incredibly powerful, incredibly helpful in catching and, and thousands of bad guys on a regular basis. And um, you, you would be hard to find an app that is more uh, useful to its users in the case of police departments. <laughs> like it's not easy to make an app that is so incredibly powerful and used uh, and loved by its users. So of course there's similar to the article, the, the debate we were having about uh, the pluses and minuses of uh, of AI, uh, uh, facial recognition. Uh, I, I think Clearview should do more in the positive PR department to make it known that they were in kind of directly responsible for the arrests of, you know, every time that, um, you know, bad guys get caught or especially if it's, you know, sexual predators or whatnot, if they could somehow take credit for it, because then it, it might shift public uh, opinion about this particular company and how it's being used. And if somebody uses it for a bad case, then sure, a journalist will hear about it, because there's lots of journalists who want to spread 
um, negative info about this company. So if, if somebody has negative info to share, a journalist will run it as they have done. I mean, that's what BuzzFeed was doing. But the only thing BuzzFeed was really able to run is uh, here's their client list and here's all the U.S. agencies and police agencies that use it. That's not really a much of a condemnation of the app. That means it's very much used by uh, a lot of government agencies who find it very useful. Uh, so if there's really... Yeah, and the, the if, quietness, Tyler, around the, the other big companies like um, the SenseTime one versus like the, the kind of... Um, torrent of like criticism against this one right it just um, it begs the question why well no here here's the point is pegasus is a technology right it's a phone it's a spyware in a phone and and it got it was being used in bad ways that we now have learned in the past 48 hours where modi was using it the india was using it against modi's uh, political opponents that's bad that's terrible and one of the headlines today is uh that there's now protests in Delhi, you know, to get Modi uh, to resign and to, you know, uh, they're claiming it was treason. And there was incredibly bad use cases of Pegasus that are now public that we now know about. Okay. So facial recognition could also be used as one of the uh, easy ways to summarize it is there's positives and negatives that come out of every technology. Facial recognition has lots of positives, lots of negatives. The positives are very difficult to do crimes when there's facial recognition on cameras everywhere. So crime comes to a a, a notable decrease, especially uh, really egregious crimes. People are going to get caught. So it makes policing far more easier. You could probably have a lot less police <laughs> on the streets. If you just, just replace them with cameras that have facial recognition everywhere, you don't really need police around. You don't really need to beat up people either. You don't need to chase them in cars either. Anything Anyone doing anything nefarious is going to be caught, right? So... Uh, there, there's a whole lot of benefits in that. The negatives, of course, as we said, are if you're living in a place like Sweden or Norway, where the government, you know, is pretty much, you know, working on behalf of the citizens, it's pretty much all upside, very little potential downside. If you live in an authoritarian regime, however, that is, you know, notoriously uses, it does bad things against its own citizens, uh, then, of course, you have a, a lot to worry about. However, Clearview is being used by the U.S., some other countries as well. However, the, the authority China has their own version of Clearview called SenseTime. China's not going to use Clearview. Clearview is not worried about the same instance that Pegasus had, where it's being used by countries that are now, you know, using it in bad ways. Uh, the the country the countries that want to use facial recognition in bad ways, Clearview just has to be very clear about, you know, uh, no, we're not going to sell it to authoritarian regimes. There are Russia has their own called PIMIs. China has their own called uh, SenseTime. Uh, Israel has their own called AnyVision. Go use one of those. And they can. And Russia will be very happy to sell you PIMIs. In fact, anyone can use PIMIs. It's publicly available. You go to PIMIs.com. 30 bucks a month. You can start using it right now. Clearview, you can't do that. There's a lot of friction to being able to become a Clearview AI user. So I don't think Clearview as a company has much to worry about in the negative PR department. I think they have tremendous upside potential if they start uh, uh, doing a deal with the agencies who use it to say, hey, if you use our technology and you're able to do something, um, you know, we want to be able to do a, a press release saying this criminal caught and they could make a Twitter feed of a hundred people a day that are being caught as a result of Clearview. And then people realize, ah, shit, you know, 
we've had a year of a hundred bad guys getting caught a day. Uh, has there been a negative thing out of Clearview? Yes, there will be negative things out of facial recognition, no doubt. Uh, but will they necessarily be a result of Clearview? Uh, I don't know. I think Clearview could do the analysis and and uh, become much more embracing of the positive outcomes. I don't know. Just a theory. But um, Clearview just raised $30 million from investors despite legal troubles is the headline from the New York Times. Uh, series B, the lawsuits aren't the only thing Clearview should be worried about, according to one person on Twitter. If we pass the Fourth Amendment, uh, uh, if we pass the Fourth Amendment is not for sale act, it will ban law enforcement from paying for Clearview for its data. Hopefully, Senator Durbin will hold a markup for this important bill soon. Um, <clears throat> a lot, a lot of people talking on Twitter about this particular deal. Uh, so, anyway, next big story: Facebook hides. Oh. No, there was one right here from Canada. Ottawa tested facial recognition on millions of travelers at Toronto's airport in 2016. In an effort to identify potential deportees, the federal government quietly tested facial recognition technology on millions of unsuspected travelers in Toronto's airport. The six-month initiative meant to pick out people uh, the Canada Border Services Agency suspected might try to enter the country Using fake identification is detailed in a document obtained by the Globe and Mail through a Freedom of Information request. The project is the largest known government deployment of the technology in Canada. As travelers walk through the international arrivals border control area at Terminal 3, 31 cameras captured images of their faces. Whether the system returned a match against a 5,000-person list of previously deported people, a border officer would review the data and pass the traveler information along to an officer on the terminal floor who would track the traveler down and put them into a secondary inspection. Okay. And to which I ask, wouldn't you want uh, immigration desks if they have a bad guy list of people that they've banned from the country? Wouldn't you want them to have the ability to be notified that those pe the people on that uh, banned list that are trying to reenter the country, which is this is the Globe and Mail claiming to have a smoking gun against a technology but when you look into how it's being used in, and they claim to have, you know, the goods, they, they looked at the documents and the documents show there's a list of 5,000 people that are banned from Canada and the immigration desk was using facial recognition to make sure they got notified if any of these 5,000 people tried to reenter the country. To which I say, great idea. Why wouldn't yeah. you do that? Yeah. Exactly. Why would you not have it? Is the question, Tyler? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Fantastic. Well, well, G I, oh, well because I want to have an because I want to have an affair and go to Target and not get identified. Right, but the the police. This this is I'm being facetious, but yeah, that's I, the, I understand that's the privacy reason, right? Yeah, yeah, I got you. But um, in this case, this is a case of a journalist finding information about how it's being used by an agency. And this is the process. This is what will happen. If somebody uses the technology in a bad way, it will get to a journalist who will make a story about it because these journalists are thirsty, thirsty, thirsty to write negative articles about this technology. If you s submit something to tip uh, help desk or tip desk at any journalist and the, and the subject line of your message says facial recognition, you're going to get opened immediately. And they're the gonna, golden age of facial recognition is over. They want to write that. 
Yeah. Well, no, they that they want to find negative articles about this technology of facial recognition. They are thirsty, thirsty on the lookout. They are hungry, hungry, hungry hippos to write an article about the negative use cases of facial recognition in the U.S. or in Canada. And then they wrote one. And then you read based on the data that they had access to in the Right of Information Act that, well, it turns out in Terminal 3, they had a blacklist of 5,000 people who were banned from Canada and the immigration desk was using the technology to get notified if one of these 5,000 people tried to reenter Canada. Uh, and I'm supposed to be worried that they're using it that way? You're trying to scare me off of facial recognition? That sounds fucking awesome. If, but if you can find an article of a misuse of facial recognition in my country, please tell me about it. I'm right here. I'm all ears. Let me hear it. But if you keep sending me articles and the only use cases you send me are fucking brilliant use cases of it, I'm going to say, what are you ranting about? This is fantastic. By the way, where's your article of the thousand bad guys that got caught last week? Let's have an actual discussion of the data of the merits of this technology and how it's being used. Yes, of course, it will be used bad in some places, especially in countries with authoritarian regimes who are probably not using the app you're trying to hit. You're trying to hit the company. The technology and the company are two different things. There are multiple companies that have are built on top of that technology. There's lots of email programs, some good, some bad. There's Lots of social media networks, some good, some bad. There's lots of facial recognition companies, some good, some bad. And the journalists clearly have it out for Clearview AI. But as of yet, they don't really have a case against it. They've, but And nor are they sharing the abundant number of likely tens of thousands of people who are sitting in jail rightfully due to the technology. Never once have they written that article. So let's have the debate. Is this good or not? Is of course, as I said, it will be used badly by bad actors, and the question is that's that's the problem, Tyler. We just don't have the arguments against. We've got like a, a very we, we can't really do the debate because you know that we don't have the material against it. We just got some yeah. yeah I it's think a, it's a hit thing. piece, right? <laughs> that's my point. Is they're trying to write hit pieces, and when you read that, they even phrase them as. Um, they write the title in a way to imply that there was something nefarious going on. Yeah. And then you read the article and you're like, and it's like, I, no, there's I want, I want people banned from my country to not enter my country. And if there's a tool that helps the, the immigration desk figure they get out. Welcome all... Charles. <laughs> Charles just joined. Yeah. Good, good, good timing. <laughs> he, he's got, we... no, he's got no opinion on this issue. I'm sure. What are we talking about? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> so for those who don't know, Charles is the co-founder of this company we're talking about called Clearview AI that just raised $50 million from unidentified investors who will likely be identified uh, due to their own technology in, in, in days to come. So the, the issue is why doesn't Clearview do more to highlight the positive outcomes of its technology? Uh, very simply, I don't run the company. Ah, if I ran it, that's how it would be done. Yeah, but I don't run it, so that's how it is. Okay. Um, I mean, look, seems like a here's... huge, a huge missed marketing opportunity. Oh yes, definitely agreed. But you know, the other two co-founders of the company. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Clearview over the next six months. Wink. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, look, the basic problem in general is that. There are a number of people who do not like Clearview, 
and many of them are connected to various governments. Many of them have competitor products. And I think it, it's been a, um, it's been a whirlwind with Clearview. Um, of course, you know, the New York times has its own slant that it puts on things. Um, and there have been stories that have come out about Clearview, um, that have been favorable. I mean, there have been many cases of solving this crime or that child rape or what have you. Um, but you know, I think how to put this, um, I think the the management team running Clearview is I, I would run it differently. Let's just let me be diplomatic. Sure. Let, yeah, let me be and to, to and, uh, on the um, on the on the good PR, Charles. If you just think of what came out with Othram, you know that article a few days ago about um, finding Grace. I mean, it's such a fantastic celebration of um, the technology and all of the good sides of it. Like, oh yeah, you need I mean, more you can... of that, right? You, you compare Othram to Clearview and it's night and day. I mean, Othram today, uh, O-T-H-R-A-M for those who are interested. Um, you know, this is the tweet. Truly honored to be able to assist the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department in identifying the su- suspect to the sexual assault and murder of Tiffany or of Stephanie Isaacson. Uh, this idea was made with, you know, basically the rec- a record low quality DNA, quantity of DNA. And, you know, I think when people see the faces of of the victims and, you know, when we catch the people who murdered them um, in the case of Othram, it's a very different kind of thing. And that's another company I'm I'm affiliated with in this sort of law enforcement you know, space. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's an interesting question. I mean, I I think that the facial recognition creeps people out. Um, I definitely subscribe to some of that myself. I mean, I am I am a bit creeped out by it. It's very effective. But we live in a world in which, you know, any vision just raised two hundred and thirty five million dollars um, and they're the Israeli equivalent of, of Clearview. Not as good, of course. And then Sense Time, which is the Chinese version, which is banned in the U.S. And then the Russian version, which is, um, you know, Pim Eyes. So, yeah, I mean, do I do I wish it were run differently? Yes, I do. And maybe one day I'll be able to run it. We shall see. OK, so <clears throat> what any it's such an interesting. Sorry, belly aching. Uh, my, but, yeah. I'm on, right? Okay, so the it has so much potential to for positive and, of course, for negative. And the question is, how can we uh, set it up to take advantage of the tremendous positive potential of it with, and minimize the negative potential for it? You have thoughts on that, Charles? Yeah, I mean, look, I am... Um, how to put this? I'm of the view that basically you have a right to know who's at your doorstep. And just like you have color ID, you know, I think, you know, facial recognition should be allowed for, you know, for people who are normal everyday citizens. Um, It can obviously be abused as Google can be abused as all kind of technologies can be abused. And so I believe in basically democratizing access to it. Um, Well, are they, are they going out of their way to, prohibit it getting in the hat because a lot of it is is how it's used right it's like a uh, right. the old so hammer the, 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 it's like guns yeah. and hammers and all that kind of thing it's a tool and if it gets in the wrong hands it can be bad so because of that the nature of that because it's a very powerful tool are they taking any steps to make sure it doesn't get in the hands of you know right it's a law enforcement only app right now ah. um and i believe that you know in the u.s you know, and I know not everybody here is from the U.S., but in the U.S., 20 million Americans 
you know, have concealed carry licenses. And you go through a background check when you get a concealed carry license. Um, the FBI does the checks. And I don't see why you're allowed to own a gun, which can potentially shoot and kill people, but you're not allowed to own facial recognition because reasons. You know, nobody ever really explains that, you know, and I'd be curious, you know, why people believe that. But basically, all facial recognition does is it basically automates a process that already occurs in the brain, which is recognizing, you know, what's going on. Um, you know, w when you when you run a facial recognition algorithm, it's it's not very complicated. Like it's it's um, you know, it goes through a database. Uh, it looks up basically it matches with that database. Now, of course, there's a lot of work that went into building Clearview, and I don't want to understate that. But it's I think if people had the technology and use the technology they would see that, yes, it's very powerful, but like the world, you know, the world will still continue to turn and life will continue to be, you know, be good. Um, but yes, I what's, do think like what, I would favor what, what's your, it to more people. What about using it in um, advertising, like people walking into, we, we saw re headlines recently that it's being used in a lots of big retailers already, not Clearview, but some other. Yeah, I mean, I so I, I'm just philosophically opposed to ads. Um, I would run, you know, I believe in subscription models just generally. I, I don't like basically how advertisements, you know, essentially steal our free will from us. Um, and I think ads are, are quite a, a nuisance to the Internet uh, generally. But yes, I mean, one could imagine a situation where like in Minority Report, you walk into a store, it looks you up and it says, hey, you know, we have a sale on, you know, whatever underwear you want to purchase that day. Um, I don't really have any objections to that, but so here's an article. No, people are. Hey, let me read this. People don't like that. Facial recognition surges in retail stores. Is the headline? <laughs> it says facial recognition tech is coming to a store near you. If it's not there already, and that's sparking a new wave of opposition. Why it matters? This is from Axios, by the way. The systems can scan uh, or store facial images of both shoppers and workers. Their use accelerated during the pandemic as retailers look for ways to prevent fraud, track foot traffic with fewer employees, and offer contactless payments at a time when consumers were wary of interacting with others. Which is an interesting point. Contact you can pay with your face, essentially, which is, I believe, Amazon is even um, uh, experimenting with that in their Amazon um, grocery stores, where you just walk out with the goods because like, they already know who you are based on the app in, in your pocket and, uh, and, your, and your face and whatnot. Driving the news, more than any three dozen, more than three dozen advocacy groups launched a campaign last week to pressure retailers to stop using facial recognition technologies or to plead them not to use. Facial recognition vendors are taking advantage of the pandemic to promote the technology, to offer hands-free payments or monitor the distance between people, and stores are promoting them as a feature for safety and convenience. Again, well, how is that bad? That you're I mean, they, like I, they I, should they should build it into the child trafficking database and stuff like that. And like, you know, that, then you could really have a, a positive yep. use case. No, I mean, look, Clearview has caught, you know, thousands of pedophiles. I mean, it's caught a bunch of the rioters on January 6th, which is, you know, arguably some of those people are trying to overthrow the U.S. government. So, it's, it's, but, um, but even in this article, the 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 the, the scenario, the 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 dystopian scenario they're trying to paint is that um, it's enabling people to pay for things without uh, with their face. And it's and it's enabling stores to increase safety by making sure people are standing far enough apart. What? Oh, well, yeah. That's I mean, your I mean, look, that's it's... your criticism of it. 
Yeah, but Look, also, the issue is that there's an activist population that doesn't like it. And that's just, you know. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. So it says where it stands. Stores, including Walmart, Kroger, Home Depot, and Target, have said they won't use facial recognition technologies per the advocacy group's running list of retailers. Uh, but Albertsons, Macy's, and Apple stores are among many retailers that do use the technology per the group's list. Their privacy policies say that they use it for security and to prevent fraud. Apple was sued by Black New York by a Black New York man who was misidentified as a shoplifter by the facial recognition security system. Uh, finally, there's a use case. There, there's something we could talk about. And he, right, and that particular case, by the way, was done by NEC, which is a Japanese company. And why it is that law, American law enforcement is using facial recognition that belongs to other countries that doesn't work as well when it's trained on Japanese faces as opposed to American faces or you know, multiracial faces. I don't know, but uh, it's something I'd like to figure out. Yeah. So it says uh, facial recognition tools are primarily used by retailers for security reasons, chiefly to prevent shoplifting. And they usually don't link images to pers personally identifiable information, says Brenda Long, senior counsel and director of artificial intelligence and ethics at the Future of Privacy Foundation. Uh, there are plenty of other ways stores would like to use the technology, she said, such as identifying loyalty club members the minute they enter the store to send them push alerts and text messages about deals or products they're likely to be interested in, knowing exactly how long a customer is in the store to help tailor their experience in future visits, using biometric systems for employees to clock in and clock out and track workers' whereabouts and monitor productivity. Advocates find this use particularly concerning because employees do not have the choice to opt out. That's the worst case scenario is they're worried that we're, we're going to have a better understanding of how employees are, you know, worried. Tyler managers today use facial recognition, right? Um, so an employee has just walked in, you've seen them, you've recognized their face, they've attended work, right? So that perspective doesn't make sense. Like, just no, what's just really that, going on, yeah. if people want to know, like, what's really going on, I'll just tell you, which is, you know, Google and Facebook and others are concerned about losing their network effects on the database that they've already accumulated. Ah. So if you look at, that's like what's right. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Let me play the breaking news for you. Charles, you just dropped the bomb. That's huge. You can build a better ad network based on faces than on cookies. Faces are far better than, in some cases, than cookies. It's basically cookies for the physical world is what it is. Look, like, we all have separate DNA, right? And we all have separate faces. And what's coming is the genetics revolution where literally your entire essence is in your DNA. And the other side of it is your face. You know, your face protects your brain. Your brain is, you know, basically what powers you, keeps you, keeps you alive. And your face conveys all this emotion, which, you know, tells people about what you're feeling, all that sort of thing. And of course, that's very valuable, knowing who you are, where you're coming and going. All that's very valuable to nation states, to advertisers, to a whole bunch of folks. Now, what Facebook is afraid of, and I know this because one of our investors is connected with Facebook, um, and I've had many friends over the years at Facebook. But what Facebook is afraid of and why they don't do a subscription service is they're worried that people will glom on to the fact that a lot of the advertising that goes on on Facebook is fraudulent. And so what they what they want to do is rather than like have you pay for like endless WhatsApp, right, or endless Facebook or endless Instagram without ads, they want to basically continue to basically cheat the advertisers. And so what's what's happening 
is that they fund a lot of these, like basically these anti-facial recognition activist organizations to essentially enshrine their monopoly. So what Clearview did was, you know, we read all of these court cases and there's a case called HiQ v. LinkedIn. And HiQ v. LinkedIn is a, is a court battle in which HiQ, which was, you know, which was backed by the Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, EFF, um, they got in trouble for scraping LinkedIn to build their own database. And, and so what happened was EFF defended them and it went, I think, all the way up to the Eighth Circuit. Um, it may actually go ultimately before the Supreme Court, but Facebook and Google were funding that lawsuit through the EFF because they, want to put, they wanted to put the herd on LinkedIn. That's sort of like, that's the backdrop on it. So what did Clearview do? Well, Clearview took all of the rest of the internet and scraped all of it, including things that had already scraped Facebook and Google. And now they're mad about that. And they that's sort of like the backdrop of, of like all the fights that are going on. Now, that's on the domestic side. On the international side, there are all these different countries that don't want, you know, America and her allies to basically have facial recognition. And of course, there are people who are worried about racial discrimination and all that that comes with facial recognition. But of course, the argument there is not to not invest in facial recognition. It's just better facial recognition that requires larger databases of a more you know, racially and ethnically diverse population. So that's uh, a super interesting point, which it, they so there's very big tech companies that uh, this is uh, a bit of a threat to their business. And that's all you need to, to know. You don't want to get all this. The, is, this is yeah. This is why those uh, all those companies are getting into this, you know, the identification part of, of the game, right. too. But, right. But I mean, Charles, can you comment on Google clearly is dabbling in uh, DNA? Um, from... Google, Amazon, you know, everybody there are a number of other is. players I mean, here on, on the DNA. I think DNA front, is key. Yeah, on the DNA front, like I don't think that Google will will be ultimately be successful. I think Amazon's going to win, and I imagine a future in the not too distant future in which all of your healthcare is provided to you by by Amazon, and one of the first things they do is they genetically sequence you. I think the I think sequencing maybe non-identifiable parts of you would also become part of um, a cryptographic key of the future. For sure. I mean, I, I will just tell you back when I had Clearview on my phone, I mean, I use Clearview like a search engine. And so, you know, people would come up to me, I'd Clearview them. Um, you know, one of the cool features of Clearview is, you know, everybody's face is here on Clubhouse, right? I could actually click on your photo and actually pull up all of the photos of you elsewhere on the internet, which was super, you know, super fun to basically go and pursue all of that. Like, you know, you jump from link to link on Wikipedia. You can do that um, through facial recognition, through Clearview, Clearview's products. Um, but, you know, I think the management at Clearview is a bit more uh, timid than I would be. Um, you know, there were three co-founders. I lost, you know, I lost, um, I lost, you know what I mean? Like I lost, I lost the argument. Um and, you know, so I'm, I and my ex-wife and daughter are the, you know, together are the third largest shareholders of Clearview. And unfortunately, I lost that. I lost that debate for now. Um, and as the rest of my holdings get, you know, get larger and as Clearview kind of, you know, doesn't go, doesn't grow as fast as any vision or sense time, there might be opportunities to kind of go in and change some of those policies. Okay. So, um, 
thank you for all that, Charles. <laughs> the, the, yeah, sorry. The DNA thing going forward is going to be wild to watch. For those who don't know, it's we watch. Uh, MedTech is particularly fascinating, uh, particularly to Google and Amazon are have uh, really interesting ambitions in that area. And it's because that data can be used in ways that would blow your freaking mind uh, to. Enhance, yeah, and I will say, yeah, I will say for those who are who those who are interested, I um I have, a you know, the company I'm the CEO of is called Traitwell. And we actually take people's DNA and tell people controversial things about themselves that 23andMe and Ancestry don't want you to know. And um, that that we did a thing called COVID Forecaster, where people could take their 23andMe and Ancestry results and using the latest in genetics, give them a probabilistic estimate of contracting really bad COVID. COVID so bad they'd go to the hospital. And we built up a little database of that. And so there'll be other things that I'll be rolling out soon on on, on that in the future. But yes, in the future, basically all these traits about yourself, you know, you'll get sequenced. Everybody, you know, will tell you all these things from your genome-wide associate studies about where you match up on various dimensions. And then you'll go to your doctors like your Heyman's and your you know, and other folks, and you'll get a second opinion, but that, that'll be like a big start of your conversation. Like, so for instance, like I have three and a half times the likelihood of the U S populations, the likelihood of having a stroke. Um, and you know, it's unfortunate, but like, it is what it is. And so that genetic, that, uh, that influences a lot of other decisions I make about my health. Um, and so, uh, you know, I act accordingly. Did you did you mention the uh, retina scanning, Tyler, about the uh, uh, heart disease? We did cover that well? briefly yesterday. Yeah, that in a... But I mean, today I thought it was kind of relevant. Oh, totally. He's talking. Yeah. About. Well, here's another thing. Just for the on this on this relevant topic, as we talk about, you know, Google and these ad networks are particularly interested in data and particularly interested in biometric data. They have your data of what you do on the internet, they would love lots of more data because the more data they have about you, the better they can target ads to you. And that's the fundamentals of their business, essentially. And so this that's why they're getting into med tech because they're going to get a lot of biometric data about you, even by putting a ring on you that tells you know your heartbeat when you were, they can coordinate the time of your heartbeat when you were watching a particular ad, for example. But it gets far worse because if they can get your iris through your camera on your devices, which are constantly improving, the cameras on your devices are now getting so good that they can now get new data from you, from your face and from your iris. And from your iris alone, they can get your gender from your eye. They know inside of the looking of your eye and your age and your <clears throat> physical health. If you've had concussions, chronic pain, vision disorders, obesity or Parkinson's disease, if you have mental health issues like depression, PTSD, autism or eating disorders, if you have cons drug consumption like alcohol, tobacco, cocaine, MDMA or cannabis, yet just to name a few. And we can now add a new one to that list. There was a headline yesterday that they can now detect heart disease from your iris. So you can now understand that the camera on your phone, the selfie cam and on your laptop and in your VR headset, which will have a camera looking right in your eye. Uh, this is the juiciest of juiciest of data if they could get all of these things about you. So and then but by the way, your DNA will tell far more than that. So if they start doing DNA related stuff and they are. This builds their uh, entrenches their ability to use that data in ways that as data ad network, you know, as, as you know, masters of uh, using data, it's um, 
That's what I think consumers might want to be a little bit worried about. Not that the police are using facial recognition or the immigration desk at Canada's airport is using it to catch people on their ban list or that Apple's using it in their stores to prevent fraud. Tyler. Yes. You know, in terms of, uh, sorry, it's Heyman. Um, it's in terms of the medical stuff, right? Uh, even the art, uh, the eyes, this has been known for ages. We learned this in medical school, right? Arcosinolis is basically, you could take a picture of a person, right? Any picture on Google right now or any Facebook picture. And I could tell you who has uh, some sort of a medical condition by just looking at their face and their eyes. So all the stuff, even Philips a couple of years ago, you know, actually a decade ago, they, they did this type of research where they actually looked at a person's face and they could gauge not only blood pressure and heart rate, uh, they, sorry, not heart, blood pressure at that time, but it was heart rate. So all the stuff is there, yeah. right? It's just that they're just digitizing it well, if you, right now, if you, which is great. If you speak at all, you now, yes. just in a few words, I'm, humans can detect some things from speech, but algorithms are now being able to detect Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. Oh, depression, even COVID symptoms, early COVID symptoms. There's a COVID, through, uh, there's speech. a COVID cough uh, predictor now that it can tell from the cough if you have if it's if it's a COVID cough, and so this biometric data is the juiciest of juiciest of data. And now you know why the big tech companies are getting into med tech. It's, yes, of course they want to make you healthier. Sure, it's about you. They want to make sure you live longer. Uh huh. Of course, absolutely. It has nothing to do about you know entrenching and solidifying their already existing trillion dollar businesses and taking them from one trillion to five trillion. It's got nothing to do with that. Not at all. It's got nothing about making four trillion dollars over the next three years. Not at all. It's about making sure you live another, you know, two years longer. That's their real focus. Right. So this all these articles about Toronto Airport use facial recognition to stop bad guys from entering the country. Oh, stop the presses. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> what are you ranting about? And by the way, exactly. Charles dropped a bomb, which is, he said, okay, you really want to know what's going on? I'm going to tell you what's really going on. The Those big tech companies, and he named Google and Facebook and others, Amazon, don't they don't like facial recognition getting into the hands of an, other tech companies, smaller tech companies, other you know sources, because it, it, it it's a, plays against, it's not a benefit to them that they don't control that. Right. So they want to make a, a big PR stink about let's ban all facial recognition everywhere because they don't they're not going to get into that game. They're getting into the DA rec, DNA recognition. And anyway, it's wild. It's a crazy game. I think he's probably right, though. I think the, there's there's clearly a really strong push and they're trying to white. They're creating lists of companies that uh, are using facial, facial recognition and trying to like cancel them and then. Here's the companies who have uh, refused to use uh, facial recognition and trying to make you know a kind of uh, uh, these are the good guys versus the bad guys. And they're trying to paint bad guys out of people like Apple who are using facial recognition in their own stores. And I don't know. I don't think consumers are going to fall for that at the end of the day. So anyway. Pay attention to who doesn't get mentioned. By the way, you know, in terms of the uh, stores, this has been going on. I'm sure Cal knows about it, all this in detail. But this, the, you know, the watching people as they purchase products, yeah. that has been going on for ages. Yeah, Nielsen used to do it. And even like picture, like they used to even look at the color of the product that you chose on a shelf. So that would actually create like where to place a product on the shelf. I didn't know that this kind of stuff was going on way before we were even thinking. Sony actually did that, apparently. 
with uh, certain cameras and stuff. Yeah. So next big article, let's do this. So we the next big article is Facebook now hiding the tag hashtag vaccines kill from searches, displaying a message that says it is keeping our community safe two years after Instagram hit the tag, which is the same parent company, by the way. <laughs> so it's interesting that Facebook hasn't uh, done that when Instagram did it two years ago. Last week, even as it came under fire from the White House over its role in spreading anti-vaccine information, people were able to search for and tag their posts, vaccines kill, which was making it easy for the anti-vaxxers to find and share stories about, uh, you know, uh, the, the, um, you know, their, their narrative that vaccines are killing people. And so now when they ban that hashtag, it's more difficult for people to, who want to find, you know, information uh, to support their, uh, view. So anyway, what the Washington Post says, Biden could reset the debate over Facebook and vaccine misinformation by focusing less on specific content moderation decisions and more on platforms algorithms. True. And uh, Facebook just blocked the vaccine kill hashtag two years too late is from Gizmodo. And here's the code words anti-vaxxers are using to evade Facebook ban. So they're using they're creating new words to avoid the 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 words that have been banned by Facebook, like this hashtag vaccines killed, they just make a new word. So yeah, they start changing the V to, you know, to some other character on the keyboard that looks like a V or whatever. So next big story is that Senator Chairman Gary Gensler says that stock tokens and stable coins backed by securities are implicated by the securities law and must work with our securities regime, stock tokens and stable coins. Um, so the SEC is wants to get a, a more of a bear hug on stock tokens and stable coins. And next story is that bill.com to acquire invoice to go whose accounts receive receivable software helps businesses, freelancers and whatever. Uh, and they bought it for $625 million in cash and stock. Google rolls out backup by Google one, a unified Android cloud backup that syncs app data, messages, photos, and more backup replaces the play services tool. And the next big one is, and this one's really interesting, Epic Games acquires Sketchfab, which operates a repository of more than 4 million 3D assets. For an undisclosed sum, Sketchfab reduces its store commissions from 30% to 12%. The New York-based startup Sketchfab has been acquired by Epic Games for an undisclosed amount. The company behind Fortnite and Unreal Engine, which is Epic Games, was the acquirer of Sketchfab. And I think this is actually potentially fantastic um, because, as it says, it's a repository of 4 million and very quickly growing, it's a rather new company, of 3D assets. And what they mean is you can previously, uh, you could create a 3D asset, a 3D object on your computer with software. And it would take you all day to make, uh, uh, you know, a little rubber uh, yellow ducky like a bath bathtub ducky. If you want to make a 3D version of a yellow rubber bathtub ducky, you could spend a day or two or three or four on a computer to make that. Or you can use your iPhone and turn on the LiDAR camera and just move the camera around the rubber ducky and you're done in about, oh, 10 seconds. And then import that into Sketchfab. And Apple realizes the power of that and they're continuing to improve that on each upcoming device. It works in the existing iPhones. It will get better in the next iPhones because this is fundamental to Apple's future, as you will soon understand, because they want to be able to 
digitize in 3D every object on the planet and every city on the planet and make a, th a digital twin of the planet so that you could go into this VR environment and you're essentially could walk down any street and it's an exact digital. They have cars driving down streets with these LIDAR cameras scanning every building to make 3D models so that you can walk down that street in VR. Every city on the planet, every building on the planet, the inside of every building on the planet and every object inside of every building on the planet. So we would have an actual 3D digital duplicate of reality in virtual and, reality. And it won't take a, like a fleet of cars because the people will just be walking around getting the data like crazy, right? Well, the Apple car will likely, you know, include these cameras. Well, on what, what I mean is, is like, um, I'm sure they're going to try to build this into some iteration of the Apple gla uh, glasses, right? So, right. Ah, I see what you mean. Want to have, right. So you'd, you'd want to have, um, uh, a volumetric analysis of a person so that when you go to put on the Gucci, when, when he buys the Gucci uh, outfit that he only shows to people wearing Apple glasses, Apple's going to want their finished product to be just a little bit better than everyone else. So uh, Chris talks about it like, you know, it's a 2D image um, when you take a picture, but LiDAR brings things into 3D. Um, you know, when you wear that hat or whatever, it's going to look literally like you're wearing a perfect hat, not some stupid like uh, Photoshop right. job. But also the all there's a whole bunch of companies all right now getting ready to launch their AR glasses, including Google, Apple, yeah. Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, all of them. And Luxottica, the maker of all of the sunglasses. In a partnership. Tyler. With, yes. You can PTR Clubhouse, Jeff. I'm I'm now a rubber duck from tech news okay. with my laptop <laughs> scan me, but also um, we've used digital twins in manufacturing for a long time. And it's just amazing what you can do with it for real life. Yeah. And it works great. And with the scanning, it's just going to speed it up. Right. But imagine yeah. that this future, uh, which the, the point of Epic games buying Sketchfab is as follows, is that Epic games is sort of like the, what Adobe is for photos with Photoshop. And and in Photoshop, you can bring in lots of little clip art, right? They have clip art libraries of millions of photos of like, you know, icons of all different kinds. And you can bring in the clip art into Photoshop and enhance your photos with clip art. Okay, that's two dimensional images. Epic Games is building three dimensional worlds like video games. And in these three dimensional worlds, um, you now have a library of for Sketchfab has a library, a repository of 4 million 3D assets that you can drag and drop into your video game environment or VR or AR environment. So if you're creating a VR experience or AR experience and you build a running app so that when somebody's running anywhere they go, every quarter mile or every hundred meters, there's a big red classic alarm clock 10 feet high, three meters high, that has the time of how fast they're running on it as they run. They virtually see it as, and if you want to see what I'm talking about, I will tweet it out right now. And thanks to Evan, who was joining us on stage. He's still on, Evan Carlson's on stage. And I'm wondering if that's the Evan who I used to work with, by the way. Um, uh, let's see. This is um, I want to add just a brief bit of context to the sketch yeah. thing. Is that okay? Or you want to move on? Or? Yeah, I'm going to tweet. Hey, Chris, welcome back. I just want to tweet out. A f oh, here. Check out this tweet I just sent to tech news around the world at TNATW. 
it shows a person wearing VR glasses running down the beach, and you're looking from their perspective. And as they're running down the beach, they see these huge alarm clocks sitting on the sand that are bigger than they are, and it shows the time of the run, how long they've been running and how fast they're running, and it's th this augmented reality. You have these augmented uh, virtual Dancing objects. shark. Yeah, and here I'm tweeting out other AR experiences. Uh, I guess Evan works do, at... Do, does anyone think that Epic buying it's going to end up uh, biting Apple in the butt at some point? Well, no, I think it's a really think... smart move from Epic. The only problem is, is I hope they don't limit the ability of everyone else to keep using Sketchfab as this kind of open repository for their VR experiences, even if they're building their experience outside of Epic's platform. So... so... Go ahead, Chris. Just very briefly, very briefly on Sketchfab with things. So, um, this is you, you hit the nail on the head with the long-term strategy. Like you've got exactly where 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 Epic Games is like aiming and where, where why they're interested in these technologies. One one of the more colors I wanted to add with Sketchfab specifically is four million might sound like a lot as a huge content repository, and don't get me wrong, you can do a lot with that. But there are larger repositories that exist out there. Um, it's, especially when we start having these like digital acquisition things and these like uh, like uh, these massive data sets um, where they basically will just do 3D scans of entire environments, those basically fit much closer to Unreal's currently stra current strategy of how they're doing content acquisition. Well, the thing that Sketchfab has that's really unique is essentially they have essentially have worked an enormous amount on the back end for being able to take arbitrary file formats from almost any source imaginable and converting them to something that can be very quickly accessible and, and uh, uh, usable on the web and do so in a way that basically essentially can be uh, plugged into almost anything else. That sort of like, you know, center point connection is something that essentially that Epic has actually struggled a little bit with, where essentially uh, on two points, one, essentially, they've had to have external plugins give that sort of like centerpiece flexibility for importers and exporters with things. And their asset importing skills have gotten better over time, but there's still like holes in their, in, their, uh, in their pipeline where even just adding small amounts of augmentation there can vastly increase the range and utility of the engine. And it's gotten a lot better about this recently, but it's basically been a priority for them uh, relatively recently. One of the other things to say is that Epic Games essentially has had a relatively weak, uh, on the Unreal Engine, has had a relatively weak presence on anything related to web technologies. They tried with some very impressive demos early on for being able to run entire Unreal Engine worlds entirely in the browser. Um, this would work off of aggressive Mozilla's Firefox, some of the earlier builds of Chrome, and then some weird things happened and the whole thing went south. Uh, I think that some executives didn't get along, some markets imploded, something weird happened behind the scenes because this got aborted. Fortnite would have run in the browser if those conversations had gone just a little bit differently. And the reason why this is interesting is Sketchfab gives them another leg in the game where they can go back to Webland and say, anything we have for our virtual worlds, we're going to make sure there's a web presence for all of this that can be accessible at every endpoint. And we're not going to be locked out of, of the markets like Apple's trying to do to us. So uh, kind of related, Oculus, which is the main hardware people use <coughs> today for VR, uh, which is owned by Facebook, Oculus is rolling out a new software update. Starting today, it's filled with some nice quality of life improvements. The big one is that it's easier to invite friends and recent teammates who aren't friends to play a game or experience an app together. And when you're in the game or in an app, pressing the Oculus button will pop up the universal menu uh, as usual, but soon more apps will show a new invite to app button next to 
which will, if, if friends accept your invite, you'll be able to see them in the menu. Kind of like we do in with Clubhouse rooms today, where I'm in a room and I can see if there's friends of mine in Clubhouse and ping them in. You can now do the same in VR, essentially. The feature will roll out soon in games like Beat Saber, Blaston, Demio, Echo VR, and many others. If you don't want to corral the group within VR, an upcoming update to Oculus app on iOS and Android will let you create a multiplayer session then and there for supported games. And uh, other features coming may or may not get you get as much use depending on how you use uh, Oculus, but are nevertheless important with the update. The browser app will, uh, so there's a browser inside of VR, just like you use a browser on your computer, you can use a browser in VR. And now the browser will also have the ability to save and autofill passwords secured with an unlock pattern like you do on Android phones where you Instead of entering a code, you create a pattern with your finger to swipe, uh, so you can do that inside VR as well. Both the unlock pattern and the passwords are stored on the actual hardware device, Oculus says. And Oculus is also adding send and read receipts to Facebook Messenger app inside of VR, as well as reaction emojis straight from Facebook, admittedly. And um, yeah, so Messenger is getting better inside of Oculus as well. And here's a poll that says of 750 tech workers, half are at least somewhat interested in joining a union and 50% say they are already interested in unionizing at their workplace. Oh boy. A decade ago, many tech workers seemed more concerned with their stock options than forming a union uh, is the headline. And this could be as if the big tech companies weren't in enough trouble already uh, with the governments all starting to crack down on them. This is the one they're actually worried about um because this could happen quite quickly and now they're getting hit on all angles my goodness comments on (coughs) unionization of the big tech companies let me crack this one open because that's that's a that's a humdinger of a headline that could have really strong implications it says uh, in a survey of the tech industry workers 50 percent of respondents said that they are very they are very or somewhat interested in joining a union in their workplace, and more than 60% of millennials said they were interested. So it's the younger ones are more up for it. And a decade ago, many tech workers were more concerned about stock options, but in the last two years, a growing list of tech workers have formed unions or tried to, including a very powerful and rapidly expanding one at Google. And about half of all tech workers are now interested in joining a union, according to a survey conducted by Protocol in partnership with Morning Consult, 50% of survey respondents who identified as technology industry workers said that they were very or somewhat interested. And this was conducted uh, between June 17th and July 2nd. And here's a quote. That's kind of crazy in some ways because unions and tech aren't a thing. And still one of the two workers are like, this is a good idea, says Wes McCannany, uh, the director of Code CWA, which is a Communications Workers of America dedicated effort to unionizing the tech industry so far. This union tech-focused effort represents the Alphabet Workers Union, which is Google, Mobilize, Mapbox, the New York Tech, the New York Times Tech Guild, and it looks like the New York Times is unionizing as well, or trying to. The office, uh, obviously we've seen a ton of interest since we've launched and the Alphabet Workers Union continues to grow. That's gotten a lot of play with a lot of folks. This is something really encouraging, according to the, the unions. In a survey, uh, found very little difference in union interest by racial or ethnic identity. People who identify as black or white, for example, had nearly identical levels of interest. Just 
above and below 50% for the the unions this day to help confirm that's actually huge historically by the way with things like historically that's one of the things that held back the labor movement was they took a they took a stance on saying well this is going to be certain racial classes stuff so that's actually a big deal there the data help confirmed the union's theory that questions of race had little relationship to whether workers are interested in unionization and they said, I don't think race matters much in these things. Workers have issues. Tech companies have problems that are problems for everybody. And these issues around race that piss off all of the workers because white workers are offended and angry that they can't retain workers of color. Anyway, but um, this will be interesting to see. And that's, that's kind of... Uh, There's the, a related news. Yeah. You, so, so go ahead. Very, very, very weird historical context. And this, I'll be very brief on this. It's only 30 seconds. So um, the... Uh, uh, I only learned this in the last like three weeks with things, but apparently, um, literally in the 1930s, Leninist communist Russia, like you know, like 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 freaking post Bolsheviks, right? They literally basically said, you know what, communism is awesome, but we should have more free market capitalism with small businesses. Let's import a bunch of factories from Ford and GM, and let's basically give stock options to everyone. This was literally Stalin. This was literally Leninist Russia with things, hmm. and then, then, then on his deathbed, he's like, "All right, this is cool. I think things are good. I'm gonna have a stroke now. I'm dying. You know, it's all good. Just don't let don't don't turn that thing over to Stalin. Yeah, don't he, let Stalin gonna, have this. And then Stalin came in yeah. and had fun. And then it all went to hell. Yeah. But but with the reason why I bring that up is a lot of these ideas about whether you have socialism or capitalism. The weird part is a lot of those corporations, while they're over in Russia. They took a lot of their management principles about five-year plans back here to USA and other places. So if you ever wonder why the corporations run a little bit weirdly, and some of it's because they're actually running some Soviet concepts on top. Um, <laughs> we have a weird cross-section of skills. These are not necessarily refagnal to each other as the Cold War communists versus Reds, kill the Reds, like, you know, McCarthyism. It's actually, there's there's weird combinations of these things we haven't even imagined politically. And a lot of things are going to be structured economically. There's a lot of, we've got a lot of range to work with. So Cheryl, your, your related articles about Uber and Lyft drivers in several cities strike for right to unionize. Yep. Yeah. Drivers for Uber and Lyft in major U S cities stage a strike on Wednesday, demanding better pay and the right to unionize a sign of the intensifying fight by big gig workers for more labor protections. What happens if they use both apps? And they unionize as a, they fight to become an employee of both apps simultaneously. The demonstrators Maybe or just like a guild system. The demonstrators organized by Rideshare Drivers United. Well, yeah, it's it's officially it's being officially organized by a union. Uh, called for drivers and passengers to turn off Uber and Lyft apps on Wednesday and boycott services to advocate for better pay working conditions and the ability to organize and collectively bargain. Rallies were scheduled in cities including L.A., San Francisco, Boston, Cleveland, Las Vegas, Pittsburgh, Denver, Baltimore, and Austin, Texas. The group didn't immediately offer an estimate for how many drivers participated. In New York City, the New York Taxi Workers Alliance is hosting an online seminar about proposed federal legislation called Protecting the Right to Organize, the PRO Act, in support of the strike. Worker-owned rideshare company, the Drivers Cooperative, stands in solidarity with their fellow drivers. To which... Hey, Tyler... Uh, I'm just I'll just say, a I'll quick say, comment, which is yeah. Uber very cleverly has dynamic pricing, and they can increase the price uh, or the or the payment to the driver due to the lack of drivers, which in real time. So it's almost like a salary increase negotiation dynamically in real time based on the number of drivers willing to drive inside of the app. So if the number of drivers goes down, the salary goes up, 
And then some of the people striking say, ah, you're going to pay me twice, three times, four times what I used to make. Ah, fuck it. Okay, I'll, I'll drive that person to the airport for $100. Sure. And this, the, the, this drivers are self-employed, right? Yes. Kind of. So it shouldn't be unionized, then. It's the same as the Deliveroo in UK. It's all gig. It's no, like all gig jobs. Nobody, yes. no, but it could be like an actor who could be a member of the union, like a SAG, SAG actor. They're you know theoretically like a you know gig worker, but they're they're members of unions and they work for different employers. So yeah. that that's possible. But the the other thing I, I was going to mention, Tyler, this thing that. You, talking about unionizing and debt workers, what that article didn't go into is the distinction because not everybody who works for a tech company gets stock options. So part of the problem is, you know, how far do the options go down into a company? You know, when Starbucks did their stock options, for example, Howard Schultz made sure those options went really deep. So even the baristas got stock options. And he's very proud that some people who, simply just made coffee for people um but you know made enough money through the stock options to buy houses so i mean that that's one thing that that article doesn't mention yeah so so, yeah yeah in the statement lyft said drivers in top markets including california are making more than 30 dollars an hour and uber spokesperson said the company quote unquote will work to continue collaboratively with congress and our diverse community of earners on meaningful solutions to improve the quality and security of independent work Earners, that's an interesting legal phrase. Yeah. The lawyers, I think, went through that very carefully. Indeed they did. And they've been through this. This is not their 10th time in this rodeo. <laughs> they've been through this every six months since the beginning of the company. And they just now are yawning. The Saudis have kept them afloat through so much of this. At this point, it's free press for them. They actually applaud these kinds of things. It just is press and they couldn't care less because they have a really clever kind of um, instant reaction, which is the dynamic pricing model inside of the app that pays people more if there's less drivers. And then drivers can see in real time that the prices are going up, that they can earn to do the drives, and then more people start driving. It's very different from fixed price labor in like the supermarkets where the supermarket workers wanted to unionize and they wanted to raise the prices. And they were... I- Right. But Uber, I've got a very brief one. Uber does dynamically raise the price on a minute by minute basis while you're outside striking. The price is going up in real time and then more drivers come in and then the price goes down. (laughs) And so good luck fighting that is my reaction. Go ahead. Okay, so very briefly, the thing. So so dynamic pricing. So the price tag has a very specific time and place in history where actually emerged Wanamakers, essentially with the Quakers. They essentially thought that essentially for for the majority of human history, haggling is the norm. Dynamic pricing, you basically go, that guy's dressed wealthily, I'm going to charge him more. And, oh, that person's dressed poor, he's not going to be able to basically afford my stuff. This was like, and then they should be able to argue it one way or the other. That's been the norm for human history. The, The Quakers essentially said, man, if we're arguing with our neighbors all the time about like pricing, we're not spending our time being getting along and, you know, studying scripture and being all sorts of like, you know, nice to each other, like our, like our very religious community says, we should just set a, t- a, a, a same price for everyone. And that's being a thing. So basically popularized it with some of the very first manufacturers, essentially in the Northeast with the, with the price tag and it spread like wildfire everywhere. And it took a while to spread that internationally. Now, what's crazy about this is when we're going back to dynamic pricing, What's interesting about it's going not just for the customers, but for the laborers themselves, that sort of dynamicism with the same algorithm, that that concept is relatively new and being able to have it so nuanced 
that every single negotiation you go into, the, all the basically the negotiation power is with the algorithm and the people that employ so, on their side. That's so, just crazy. So check out the next headline. Here's the next headline and see if you can put, a, put these two together. Argo Ford to launch self-driving vehicles on Lyft's ride-hailing ha- ride app. Oh, the very next headline in terms of popularity on the internet is that Lyft is now um, autonomous vehicle technology startup Argo AI and its backer and customer Ford plan to launch at least 1,000 self-driving vehicles on Lyft's ride-hailing network in a number of cities over the next five years, starting with Miami and Austin. Oh, you mean the cities where those people are are uh, protesting today to unionize? Oh, that's where you're releasing the autonomous cars. Whoa! What an interesting coincidence. <laughs> oh, no. There's no connection. Just in time. The first Ford self-driving vehicles, which are equipped with Argo's autonomous vehicle technology, will become available on Lyft's app in Miami later this year. Ford and Argo have had a presence in Miami for years now and have an active fleet of (laughs) test vehicles. Austin will follow next year with its remaining U.S. cities being added. Uh, yeah, you you're arguing to, you can to unionize. Drive the robot to the protest. You can drive the robot to the protest and say, "Hi, that's nice. I don't need you anymore." I, I'm just imagining these autonomous vehicles with a special wrap on the side that says "Go fuck yourself." Is uh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> the autonomous cars are on the horizon as the Uber and Lyft drivers are fighting to get health care and paid time off and parental leave and higher salaries. And, oh, what, you're replacing us with autonomous cars. OK, sorry. Uh, I don't see how that's going to work. Um, I don't have negotiation. Well, the negotiation leverage is temporary, essentially. Essentially, it determines whether or not... Like the autonomous car stuff, they're saying, well, one day we'll have autonomous cars. That's legislative. That's not That's not tech-wise. The moment they decide that essentially they're going to allow it legislative-wise, they can show it working in one region that we did a transition and it's a thing. And the question is whether or not the people that basically got kicked out, whether or not they vote for the politicians, they're going to basically restore something. If they don't, then, oh, man, not a good sign there. This will really help us hone and figure out where the demand is and what peak demand looks like which helps us figure out where we need to map, where we need to go, where we need to operate. Uh, it helps us spe- spend our test resources wisely. Oh, not looking good for the drivers. That's amazing that those two headlines came back to back. But the next one is also incredibly interesting. Here it is. YouTube to pilot test to pilot. Here we go. YouTube to pilot test shopping from live streams with select creators. What? YouTube's going to do shopping with live streams? Hang, what the hell is going on here? Who could have predicted that? YouTube will begin pilot testing a new feature that will allow viewers to shop for products directly from live stream videos. What? The feature will initially... Tyler, you wouldn't know anything about making money from YouTube, would you? No, the feature will initially launch with just a handful of creators and brands you know, that are, that are verified, identified. You, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you get it? Are you picking it up yet? <laughs> uh, that the company says... I'm you, Tyler. You are, right? You can start selling your cups and t-shirts there. And, and as an expansion of the integrated shopping experience, YouTube began testing earlier this year. The feature was designed only for on-demand videos and, and allowed viewers to tap into the credibility and knowledge of trusted creators in order to make informed purchases the company explained at the time it said that it would roll out to more creators over the course of 2021. More recently, YouTube tested live streamed shopping 
with a one-day shopping event focused on small businesses. YouTube video platform for years has been a powerful tool for product discovery as it has more than 2 billion logged in users per month tuned into the service to watch product reviews, demos, unboxings, shopping hauls, and other content that could inspire future purchases. But creators who wanted to sell from their YouTube videos would often have to promote affiliate links to online stores through the video description or in video elements like cards and end of screens. <clears throat> and now they're doing live, live video shopping. Wow. It, imagine all those kids tapping on the iPads because mommy needs to get some time alone. And then all of a sudden they now have the purchase power of every toy they see on the infinite mm -hmm. loop for those unwrapping videos. <laughs> and they can order all of them all at once. <laughs> so for those who don't know why I'm so shocked it's because i've been saying this was precisely i've been ranting like a madman like a maniac almost each day for nearly three months that this is coming precisely this live stream shopping on youtube and i've explained it in intimate details over and over and over and now the headline today is youtube is pilot testing live stream shopping with select creators which is another prediction I have, which is they're going to start doing ver identity verification, especially on live streams. And if you've been with us previously, you know why I think this. I've made this argument countless times. It's because when you're on a live stream, you can say crazy shit that governments don't like. If you do stuff non-live stream, it's searchable. They can find it. You did a tweet. They don't like it. They take it down. They may, and depending on the government you're in, they may can't come and have a nice cup of tea with you and want to know why you're saying bad things that hurt dear leader's feelings. But on a live stream, well, um, they have to come find your house really quickly. And in China, they've done something truly genius. They, If you want to live stream on any app in China, you must register your face with their facial recognition systems which is called sense time in China. And if you start live streaming, if you say something that hurts dear leader's feelings, your live stream ends very quickly. Or if you try and very cleverly bring in somebody into your video who hasn't had their face registered, your live stream also ends instantly. And so they've effectively controlled narratives inside of live streams. They're going to do the same in audio without video. You know, in rooms of people. Imagine a big, imagine a big room uh, full of clubs where people are talking on stages and then the audience and people are saying things live. Yeah. They're going to want to be able to make sure people don't say things that hurt their dear leaders feelings. And that's why there's going to need to be ver identity verification, even on your voice. So, uh, but YouTube's now piloting um, e-commerce, social e-commerce live streaming as has been happening in China for many years, as is happening now in Thailand and all around Southeast Asia. And people are making billions of dollars doing it. That's why it's so incredibly obvious that it will be coming to the West any day. And here it is. The headline happened to come today while you were listening just now, but we've been saying it's coming for, oh, three, four months. A team of his- Yeah, this thesis, uh, Tyler, so I just want to, yeah. I think it's worth reminding people because sometimes we have new people here, but the thesis on social shopping and and live streaming and content creators uh, kind of using that, uh, I think you've been building it because I, I precisely almost know because as soon as, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I invest my own money. Like it's just, you know, I, I make calls on the market, just public things. And so I, I, I on, on the basis of some of the thesis growing, Shopify and a whole bunch of other things, uh, it's been like two and a half, three months, um, literally when you intensively have been going on about that. Uh, and and uh, it, it's like the headlines just keep coming. Um, and one of some of the stuff that we've been going through over the last uh, 
I think, uh, last month, which builds on that is the identification verification. But underlying that is a whole thesis on trust. Uh, Because when you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people who claim to be, uh, you know, uh, and 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 I'm I'm not talking about like there's a whole discussion about you know the authoritarian states and what would they will do uh, you know I'm I'm out of that just let's say U.S. and commerce right let's just say that commerce in the U.S. like generally speaking has been we rely on brands right brands what brands do they what brands do is they 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 give you a proxy for trust retail brands give you a proxy for trust I may not get ripped off if I go into that shop which has that brand but now everybody's a freaking salesperson. Everybody's selling you financial advice. Everybody's selling you this. So, uh, you know, and if you, if that person is a complete, like there's no ID, like there's absolutely no trust. So I can see where this is going. It's so early, but it's, uh, uh, I think, I think that's going to be the next thing where I can imagine you like three <laughs> months from now, Tyler going, I, I told you so, <laughs> this is coming. Oh, like, it's come now. Well, so ha- you know? somebody who's in the audience named Hassan just did a tweet that I just retweeted on Twitter that says TNATW, Tech News Around the World, is basically an AI that is trained in real time over streams of news that is able to now predict the future with good accuracy. <laughs> so when you when you do read every <laughs> tech news headline uh, every day, all day, all of them, you do start to get the big picture of what's going on, but it, you have to re- have a stage of really smart people from all over the world of lots of different disciplines, you know, hackers and lawyers and, you know, geeks of all stripes in all industries, fashion, food, you name it, climate, you know, met, fintech, medtech, edtech, all of it. And then when you get a, a room of smart people like that together, yeah, then you can start predicting the future rather accurately. And so anyway. A couple of of the other very big headlines at the moment is that uh, Tumblr is doing what they call Post Plus, which is their version of Twitter super followers, which is basically people are going to pay to get access to exclusive content of creators on Twitter and now on Tumblr. That's all coming very soon as well. And then, by the way, on the YouTube testing live streaming, YouTube has a huge advantage because they've already got video uh tiktok and snapchat and um what's the other one instagram are all going to get into longer form video and then they will they also will get into live streaming because this all of those apps if you haven't heard this rant before and my apologies if you have because i do it often is it's really obvious what's going to happen here there's going to become e-commerce inside of all these social media apps because everyone's spending their time in the social media apps, not inside the Amazon app, right? So it makes much more sense to sell you the stuff in the apps that you're already looking at all day, like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and whatnot. You're not spending five hours a day in Amazon. And the when you do find an item on Amazon that you want to buy, statistically, people are going to look for that item on YouTube to see what it looks like, what the unboxing looks like, so they can really see what happens when they buy it. And nearly every item is available to see what it looks like when it's unboxed in YouTube. It's fantastic. Amazon doesn't have unboxing videos of the products when you're shopping there. And so if you're leaving Amazon in mid-purchase to go over to YouTube, why not just put a little buy button on that item that you're watching the unbox of and buy it right there? Well, because there's the reviews are over at Amazon. 
and you like the reviews at Amazon, but you like the unboxing video on YouTube. But if YouTube can start bringing over reviews, so that's an easy prediction. Easy peasy. And more importantly, the reviews of the sellers. So the the YouTuber unboxers already do have a bit of trust in that soon they're going to start selling stuff. And when they start selling stuff, they'll get reviewed for it. And then Amazon's going to be uh, screwed, uh, frankly, because you're going to start buying stuff directly from YouTube. And the YouTube creator is now going to be able to monetize the thousand videos that they did of all their previous unboxing videos. And all the videos going forward uh, will monetize as well, but they're going to realize very quickly that they make a lot more money when they're live streaming than when they just have a static video. Because when they're live streaming, they can have an audience of 10,000 people that they're talking with in real time and answer the questions about the product in real time. And they'll have lots of products that they're going between. And Mondays will be tech gadget days and Tuesday will be home gardening day and Wednesday will be, you know, outdoor activity day and they'll just be selling endless products all the time. And this is what's happening around Asia. And they're making incredible amounts of money doing this, like obscene amounts of money. And they're not, you don't make that much money from a photo. You do can make money from a photo. You'll make much more from a short video and you'll make even more money from a longer video and you'll make way more money from a live stream video. And that's how we know that TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram are going to go from photos to short videos to longer videos to live streams and that's where the real money is and to to think otherwise is just stupid stupid and foolish it's so much money to be made from the live stream by the way instagram does have live streaming right now most of those apps do have live streaming right now but they don't have the buy button yet but they're gonna get it real soon and as usual youtube has a head start because now all they have to do is add they already have live streaming as well now they just got to add the buy button and um they're gonna do that and it's coming. It's coming not slowly. Every day we read headlines that continue to emphasize how this is all shaking out. And let's get into the most interesting stories. We've covered the, the top. Uh, yeah. Tyler. Yes, go ahead, Johan. What's, what's, uh, good morning, boss. Sorry for later, I will. I have other things to attend to. The thing is, I don't want to chime into this with the, the AI and tech news. Uh, I have secretly in the background uh, br brought in a couple of Swedish journalists from the news sector uh, just to chime in and listen to the tech news because I have a wild idea that we, this is actually a format that would work just wonderful for the ordinary news that we time to time bring up in this channel as well. And uh, the Swedish Journalist uh, Association, Journalistklubben, uh, is actually uh, uh, lurking in the background here, listening to us. I see you guys, and don't be surprised if this format will uh, surface in some some sort or form from Journalist Club yeah. in, in Sweden with Swedish news. Make, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. That's, we see, we see you guys. We see you down there. Make, but make sure you, if you want to do this, <laughs> if you're gonna do it right, you got to get the fucking air horn. Okay. If you're <laughs> and a general, by the way, yeah, you, you, you got to jump. You do some extra coverage Let's show too. them how to do it. You gotta, you gotta have the air horn. You gotta have the general Lee. Yeehaw! All right, you, you gotta, you gotta have Cheryl. You gotta have Cammy. You gotta have. Anna, <laughs> we need our subway. We to... need our subway article yeah. of the day. <laughs> yes. Subway, if you're not quiz. covering the news about subway sandwiches, you don't stand a chance. By the way, <laughs> the soylent green tuna. No, the thing, quite seriously, this is actually, uh, you, you, Tyler, and Cal, together with Kyle and the rest of the gang, 
this is remarkable and uh, we're getting noticed and uh, we're getting noticed this is getting way more fun than it was in the beginning it's been fun all right okay but this is getting deeper and deeper and you, you wait you weren't having to... fun in the beginning you were just sitting here <laughs> and just, what he was bearing you, through you it you should be yeah what kind of feedback is that the, the, the very very first uh, tech news i joined was uh, I, I, I can only describe it as, as a war. There were flowing accusations and hard word. It was really ready to rumble all the way. And I was like, these guys are nuts. Why am I even listening to this one? But it was something in the background, even though it was grenades bursting and artillery barrage from all sides, it was still the tone, the way the moderators tried to shine my to, 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 to ease it down. But but it, it was very very harsh language, uh, accusations of being spies uh, thrown here and there. Uh, well, in, uh, in fairness, you know, we have had our works. fair share of spies in the room, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most likely from the Swedish Journalist Club. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's get into the fun headlines that everyone's been sharing with us for the past twenty four hours in no particular order. Here we go for right off the top, uh, an article from Forbes that robots 10 times faster, 10 times cheaper, modular development platform and 3D printing lets you build autonomous robots like Lego. And that's a fantastic concept of 3D printable robots. Huzzah. Huzzah. That is fucking fantastic. Where's the air horn on that? So because now you're going to be able to, the robots will be modular, kind of like kids play with Lego bricks and you can print. 3D print Lego bricks. Well, you can print the different, you know, people used to make little model cars. Well, a model car and a robot aren't that different, honestly. So it's just got some, you know, uh, they both have batteries. They both got wires, whatever. But now um, you're going to be able to 3D print the pieces in your own house. And that's a really cool concept. So you can read the Forbes article that I just twatted from the Twitter at TNATW. And as I'm going to sh- tweet all of these articles now in rapid fire succession. Oh, yeah. r- real quick. Yeah. 10 seconds. 10 yeah. seconds. Creality yeah. 3D printers are 200 bucks and you can get them from essentially anywhere now. And they've basically become industry standard and they can be upgraded to the $2,000 models. But the 200 bucks is all you need to get in 3D printing. It's fun. It takes an afternoon to assemble. It's fun. Yep. So we got the next one is also about start building your own robots with this nanobot construction kit. Just tweeted that out at TNATW and go check out the TNATW account. I'm going to tweet about 40 tweets right now in real time, each of these articles that we talk about. Uh, And you should follow it anyways, because we find all the best articles that everyone's tweeting in and we only tweet out the best ones like this one. A British man arrested in Spain over the Twitter hack. We actually covered this. This is one of the biggest stories of the day that a 22 year old UK citizen was now arrested in connection with the hacking of 130 high-profile Twitter accounts, including Elon Musk, Barack Obama, and Kanye West, to name just but a few, also was hacking into TikTok and Snapchat. But now Uncle Sam told Spain to arrest this UK citizen, and now this 22-year-old from Florida finger-painting in a cell with his friend Jack Moss. So uh, Brokeet uh, wants to be the Shopify of construction, raises $3 million dollars. And with the pandemic affecting every aspect of life and industry, it's no surprise that digitization is coming to construction quickly. And um, there's going to be the shot. By the way, you know, a company is going to become effing huge when other small startups start referring to themselves as the Uber of, you know, we're the Uber for dog walking or we're the Uber for, you know, 
um, cats or we're the Airbnb for, you know, uh, Gosh, tall, darn you, for tall $300 million and they went banker from SoftBank. Right. I, I'm still bitter about but that. But now, now you're starting to see we are the Shopify of construction. We're the Shopify of this. We're the Shopify of that. And that tells you all you They've need. They've made it. Yeah, that, that tells you that Shopify is going to be a massive. It already is, but it's got, it has a long lot of, le- lot of gas left in that growth tank. So next big article is that Russia threat could see UK fighter jets operating from Highways, once again, the Royal Air Force has plans for a series of drills that will test its fighters' abilities to operate from dispersed airships as tensions start to rise, as nations start to economically decouple. Read Disunited Nations by Peter Zihan if you really want to understand what's about to go down. And if you aren't able to read, that's okay, no judgment. Just go to YouTube, YouTube University, and type in Disunited Nations. And then you'll have many videos to choose from of Peter Zihan giving a synopsis of his book at many of the different uh, high-profile events where he's paid to speak. And because people find his uh, predictions fascinating because they've been coming true for quite a while. And this is the third book he's written. And um, I think it's the most important book anyone can can digest. But you don't have to read the book. Just go watch the YouTube videos. They're f- absolutely fantastic. But indeed, uh, as the economies of the U.S. and China decouple and as the U.S. brings home all of its uh, um, kind of winds down its role as the global bodyguard for protecting all of the trade on the deep seas, Indeed, Russia is going to start ramping up their um, rhetoric. Both China and Russia are going to ramp up their rhetoric and their military behaviors. And they are. And that's been predicted by Peter Zehan for a long time. So it's happening now. We're seeing the headlines now. And if you want to know what happens next, go watch This United Nations. So um, long story short, America wins. So the, a team of Israeli students just created honey without bees. As we talked about earlier today, somebody here in Clubhouse was going around talking like a madman that he figured out how to make honey without bees, and maybe Tyler, um, yeah. Indian guy. Oh, that was you, safe. Yes. So yeah, I've got the article. It was an Indian guy, not an Israeli. Is he in here? Is is he, is he Israeli? No, 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 Indian. Indian. Okay. This guy, this team of Israeli students just created honey without bees. Uh, can you make honey without honeybees? According to 12 Israeli students who took home a gold medal from the International G- Genetically Engineered M- Machine uh, oh, competition my. with their synthetic honey project. The answer is yes. Yes, you can. This cause syrup. This cause syrup. Honey syrup. Okay. <laughs> so uh, facial recognition surges in retail stores. We covered that with our friend Charles here, who's the co-founder of Clearview AI, which is also in the news today from the New York Times that they just raised another $50 million. And we covered that one. Thank you for that one, Heyman. And then Mahogany has this one that the White House is trying to fix the problem of slowing COVID-19 vaccinations by engaging with an unlikely source. Fox News. News. Yes. And they're asking Fox, hey, Fox, please stop telling people not to get vaccinated. And please tell people to get vaccinated because it turns out that the people who aren't getting vaccinated, we did a little number crunching. We did a little data data. We did a little calculation with our geeks and they found out that the people who aren't getting vaccinated, watch your network. So could you do us all a little solid? And they're dying. Yeah. So you're, by the way, if you want to be a network next year and you still want to have viewers who aren't dead, you want to have living users, you might want to tell them to get vaccinated. Just a little tip. Just a little tip. We're just trying to help you out so that you still have people to watch your show next year so they don't die of COVID because maybe you didn't think this through by telling them not to get vaccinated. 
they might not be around next year to watch your shows no more. So might want to double think your strategy on this one, Fox. So, but also mm -hmm. long COVID is an issue too. Right. So even if they get it and survive, it's still right. uh, long-term effects. Right. But my point is particularly salient because they actually have a very old population watching Fox. So Netflix to include mobile games for subscribers. And the firm said on Tuesday that the time is right to learn more about how our members value games. And what they mean when they say the time is right is because they've kind of reached the end of uh, sucking, sucking up all of the you know, people who can subscribe to Netflix now that they compete with Disney Plus and AT&T along with Discovery and Warner and Apple TV and Amazon Prime TV. And it's now getting hard to compete. So they got to diversifying and now they're getting into video games. And that's what they mean when they say the timing is right. And their stock did take a hit as a result of their quarter earnings report 24 hours ago because they actually, for the first time, lost subscribers in the U.S. and Canada. And that tells you it's getting very competitive in the can, video streaming. And that's why they're diversifying into video games. Yes, Chris? Can we zoom out just for one second? No. How are you mechanically going to play this? Like, what controller? Yeah. Or like, it's a, yeah, they cost like 20 bucks for a Bluetooth controller. It's not hard. You can even mail it to No, customers. I know. But, like, what, to what end does this achieve? I'm not sure. The crackdown in China is a hot mess and it's coming for us, is the headline from the New York Times. Why the U.S. should fear China's big tech crackdown. Big tech crackdown. The stakes of the... Our IPOs. The, the, the stakes... Will someone think of our IPOs? The stakes of the U.S.-China war over the future of the Internet are escalating. Next article, Huawei spends $1 million on lobbying in second quarter, boosting spending to counter Washington bans. According to the South China Morning Post, Huawei spending on Washington lobbyists increased from $180,000 in the first quarter to a million dollars as the company was locked out of new infrastructure spending. And China flying, how China's flying submarine drone could change sea battles. We covered this briefly yesterday from the South China Morning Post. They have drones that can fly in the air and underwater, and they do this by very cleverly having two different sets of propellers, one optimized for air, one optimized for water. Very clever. I was very disappointed when watching that kind of thing. So the U.S. military has another version that they basically got a draft for like 11 years ago. That one essentially would work on like persistent stuff and just a float on up. The reason why it's a little more elegant is that you can you can you can have persistence. This thing essentially is going to have require a lot of support infrastructure. That I don't think they're properly accounting for. Yeah, the thing that's wild about this that I didn't think about yesterday is that drones are now being militarized and used in bombing like a, an Air Force Indian base up near um, oh yeah near Kashmir near on the, near the border of Pakistan. Or the un, the disputed border of Pakistan and India. There's now been drones attacking an Indian Air Force base, for example, and somebody was killed in Libya with a Turkish drone. And now India itself predicted yesterday that there's going to be a drone attack on civilians in Delhi on in, before Independence Day, which remind me, it's like August 14th or 15th. Someone from India can can correct me on that. Yeah, both. Yes. Uh, August 14th for Pakistan, August 15th for Okay, India. so the government's even predicting there will be drone attacks. This is going to become a very big thing very quickly. They are going to happen. You're, they're putting explosive on consumer drones that are, you know, $200 drones. And you can do what people used to risk their lives doing suicide bomber missions. Now you can just blow up a $200 drone. And you can send a swarm of them, of 10 of them, and really cause all kinds of havoc. And that's going to happen. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? And what are you going to do? Of course, you're going to scan the sky 
and have some new technology that broadcasts some kind of signal that makes it impossible for the, the drones to operate in the sky. If they have a, a link to a controller, it'll block that controller and then it'll ostensibly fall from the sky. However, that doesn't work if the drone is coming at you from under the water. So if the drone comes... I'm predicting... Huh? I'm predicting cities will have lots of nets and awnings incorporated into the architecture. It's just a beautiful little textile thing everywhere. It just so happens to basically be impenetrable by the little tiny drone. Yeah, I'm, pre I'm predicting a nice, incredibly tall net around Gaza in the near future. So it's, it's like the 60s buildings designed in the 60s, like UC Irvine, they had these specially sloped walls that like, uh, I guess, uh, like explosives would slide off of if they were thrown on them. So uh, this is that kind of that future, except now it's with drones. I, 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 so the real issue, yeah. So, just quickly, just the real issue is that imagine like five hundred of them actually going in one direction, yeah. and you know, like the actual you know combination within them is like one or two takes care of the actual whatever is coming towards them, like as a missile or bullet or something, and the rest of them actually go in a in a set, certain type of like trajectory where they actually pass on, and some of them are been sacrificed, taking care of the defenses, and the other ones actually move in. So imagine like 500 or 1,000 yeah. of them actually Drones going horns. in. Yes, we don't have to other. imagine it. We see yeah. it all the time. They're being, you can make them fly in any arrangement you want. In China and Beijing, they're often used as a replacement for fireworks shows. They put colored LEDs on them. They can fly them in an animated swarms, make it look like a, a dragon is flying in the air, or they can even form a, a QR code in the sky that you can scan. So they're in for with style, you go in all at once at the suicide drones to form a QR code and then to have a dragon and then attack you. It's like this attack brought to you by and it's like and it goes boom. <laughs> this drone okay, this so drone swarm attack about shock and awe. <laughs> so just, just Do you think we should have the... something to um, restrict them, uh, like how we did nuclear bombs, a way to um, uh, like how we did to the cars? Um, how we have win numbers and everything. And Do you think I think Johan had an interesting thought. Uh, did you not, Johan, about uh, electromagnetic pulse bombs that would? Yeah, yeah, they are actually already available. EMP bombs, uh, grenades for for the forty millimeter grenade launcher uh, that uh, you have on, on as under barrel on, on some of the automatic guns. Uh, it it actually more made for to disable vehicles and helicopters, but uh, it will be actually equivalent to, to work with these ones. And they are air burst. They don't need to, to, to hit something to detect. You actually can have a proximity uh, on them. So it, it is near the helicopter or near the missile or near the car, it detonates. And it gives a small uh, EMP burst uh, that is, uh, kills most of the electronics in any ordinary vehicle. Uh, and oh. uh, these drones won't have the heavy uh, shielding for that one of white ca cases because you can't play a Faraday's uh, uh, cage around everything in a small drone. So they will be easy killable by EMP bursts. Yep. So, so, so just um, let you know, there's a couple of startups. Is... There's a few startups working on anti-drone technology already. Uh, one in the Bay Area and a couple in India. Yeah. There, it, we had a we have a gentleman who joins us from Israel who's part of the military there, Amir, and he said that even now, he said that they have been attacked by drones from Gaza and that they used a uh, a way to take over the the signal between the controller and the drone and make the drones crash, and that wasn't really reported. 
but he, he's part of the Israeli military. And he said, yeah, this happened in the last kind of uh, conflict in, in that region. So it's already starting. So anyway, so Tyler, yes. How many, how many of us do you think we can carry? Such we, we can't hear you, by the way. You sound like you're talking at the bottom of the ocean. I'm sorry. Give me one okay. second. So we're going to move along. Come back in, in a minute. Can you hear me better now? Barely. Maybe he's in the Shuck submarine from you China. You sound like you're in a submarine. Uh, I'll, I'll join back. Hold on. Okay. Come back, come back in a bit. The NHS app in the UK has quietly become a vaccine passport. More than 10 million residents in the UK have downloaded it, despite the government saying vaccine passports aren't a thing. And that was from Mahogany. Thank you for that, Mahogany. Now, hi. Social Security will never be used for identification. In a, in a, yeah, that was the America's claim, right? The, in a hot job market, McDonald's, Cheesecake Factory, and other companies are getting back in touch. And the headline is from the Wall Street Journal, uh, now hiring White Castle four years after you applied. And they're now responding to people who applied four years ago to say, hey, come on in for that interview you applied for four years ago. Data, look into it. Uh, uh, PG&E. Um, which is Pacific Gas and Electric, which is the electric and gas. Otherwise known as the California Wildfire Association. <laughs> Pacific Gas and Electric in reversal. To their, the, what, here's the headline. They're now going to bury the power lines. In, in... Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I, I was explaining that I was in uh, Indianapolis and I was explaining that to the people out there and they literally were just hand pawing. They're like, do they still do rolling blackouts out there? I'm like, yeah, they, they do it. And now they do it because of the wildfire risk, because they didn't bury the lines 50, 60 years ago when they should have. So the... mind you, it's only 10,000, thousand miles of, or 10,000 yeah. miles of yep. them, which is only the ones that are in the forestry, not the, not all. of Right. Them. The ones that are in fire prone areas, they say, which is only 10,000 miles. I mean, that's not a lot, is it? I mean, that's, you could do that in a weekend or so. So it, it's just Americans don't. It's not actually it's... that bad. Like I know it sounds like a lot. Yeah, these I mean, China like would do that like in a day. <laughs> Get the... <laughs> eh, four days, but yeah. Yeah, uh, but by the way, it's a lot of rolling hills and stuff. It's going to be kind of interesting to see them do it. So fires have become all but inevitable, and this uh, it's going to be challenging indeed. But thank you to that. Uh, just retweeted that one out. You can read that. And mahogany. Someone suggested the boring company yeah. could help do it. Yeah. You need a trencher and a plow. It's all he needs. It basically goes about like, you know, what, like 10 miles an hour, 20 miles an yeah, hour. Yeah, like pe people with farms do this just all the time. It as you go. It's, like, it's as fast as you can drive a plow. It it's, goes pretty quick. They already have equipment for this. It's all automated. No, Not automated, but it's solar pretty... panels and fuck PG&E. Ah, yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. There, there it is. That's the right answer. Vaccination could be the new currency for online dating in India as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to make in-person interactions tricky. Some Indians surveyed by dating app Bumble believe that they would be up for sort of their own vaccine recognition system so you could date people who have been vaccinated. Oh, so vaccinated. <laughs> a smart city oh, future Chris, don't go for there. Virginia's <laughs> uh, Amazon HQ2 neighborhood, partnering with AT&T to build a comprehensive 5G network. Um, uh, it's the, a smart city future in Virginia's new. Uh, uh, let me put it this way. That's a that's a that's a tongue twister of a headline. 
Amazon was is building a second headquarters. Their their he, initial headquarters is in Seattle. Another another second headquarters. No, it's like the third, fourth, second. They, well, they were trying to do it in New York. They got kicked out of New York. They went to Virginia, and now rather than just build any little headquarter, they're going to make a smart city out of it, make an, a smart neighborhood, the country's largest smart city. They're calling it, and as was predicted, yet again, here we go. As Google has now their project in San Jose, Facebook has their project in East Palo Alto, and now Amazon's doing what they're calling the country's largest smart city in Virginia as part of their second HQ. And this is, yeah, it was predicted by me like two years ago because I'm working on a similar project in Stockholm, and it occurred to me even then, oh boy, every big tech company is going to have to do this in the near future, which I've said here many times over the months, which is these cities really need to know what the future is going to look like in 10 years so that they can go ahead and buy those competing technologies now before they become existential threats, which is why, I mean, that's just what's going on, right? It's like there's going to be new technologies that are going to explode and will enable other companies to surpass the current uh, top five, Google, Facebook, Amazon, what have you. And they need to know who are these new technologies today. And to do that, you build a smart city, which is 10 years in the future, which will enable you, able you to see what are the technologies that are going to come up before they come up so that we can kill them or acquire them uh, to maintain our power position. So they're willing to invest billions of dollars to build smart city sandbox labs to be able to neutralize future threats to maintain their tech hegemony. It's very interesting if you think about it. It's a good thing that we've got good regulatory support to, for these cities to make sure that they can support this and then this endeavor. China's next... Oh, it's that antitrust. Yeah. Next big article from Faraz, how China's cybersecurity laws could backfire unintelligent or dumb EVs and their autonomous as China's next target is the troves of data in your car. Beijing has ambitions to lead the global race to EVs and autonomous cars. Its cybersecurity crackdown could put all that at risk. And next article. First legal complaint from Pegasus victims over latest fire revelations has landed in France. Brought by two journalists supporting, supported by pressfreedom.org, their statement says more complaints are... What, that took in like four days? Man, where they really slap sleeping on the job there. Well, Come on. Let, it's like... Let, let me do this. We got to get to the Ben and Jerry's article because Ben and Jerry's decided they're not going to sell in the West Bank. Mind you, Ben and Jerry's are two Jewish dudes from Vermont. And they decided they don't want to sell in the West Bank in, in the occupied areas. So Israel's... Prime Minister made a big statement, uh, a you know, a saying he's going to, you know, retaliate against Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And the, I think he like goes to the shop himself. The I mean, he's just like really pissed about the this. department. Hagen does is quite nice too. Hagen does. The Department of State in the U.S. has come out and made a big statement uh, against this. <laughs> now, that's interesting because simultaneously there's this thing called Pegasus that came out. You might have heard about it. You know, like all the prime ministers, all the presidents, kings, you know, all these top fighting over ice cream right now. Yeah. And and that's happening in the U.S. And it turns out Joe Biden's phone was hacked and all, all everything's going. Oh, and, and by the way, the chief negotiator with the on the Iran deal, his phone was part of Pegasus has been reported by The New York Times. 
and all that's happening and not a peep out of a single politician in America, let alone the State Department. Not a pe- Tyler, Tyler, I have a conspiracy but, 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 but Ben and Jerry stopped selling in the West Bank and the State Department needs to make a statement against its own U.S. company? Tyler, that's because there's a federal law. There's a federal law about boycotting Israel. So you're going to see already it's happening. There's pressure on state pension funds to dump and you know dump right. uh, whatever the parent company now is at Ben and Jerry's. Is it, ben and Jerry's owned by Unilever. Correct. It's, yeah. It's so not Ben and Jerry's so anymore. It is Ben and Jerry's. It's just owned by Unilever. But the, 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 Are they still a public benefit corporation? I don't think it was also owned by Unilever. Well, I mean, okay, so the largest ice cream maker in the world. They're telling that they're saying dump, dump Unilever stock. Yeah, it was an article on that. I didn't. I should. I should have sent it to you. But okay. But the bigger question is why isn't the U.S. making any comment about Pegasus when they're so quick to make a comment about Ben and Jerry's? Probably because the U.S. government spies on everybody themselves, and they might even use Pegasus. That's preposterous, Ken. <laughs> Americans are very serious with their ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think Cheryl wins. Does everybody, I, I just does love everybody that remember when the United States got I, caught spying on Andrea Merkel? You know, and, and then we had <clears> the United States had to apologize to uh, the German chancellor because the United States was spying on 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 germany even though they're an ally yeah i think cheryl's got the right answer we take our ice cream we have priorities <laughs> ice cream over pegasus <laughs> and subway sandwiches but, but tyler right you you picked up this article as like when you first i think a few days ago yeah. right you kind of brought it up it's odd it's odd this odd and i've been like listening and i thought why is tyler picking on this just having just know how you work a little bit here and so and and you continue doing this and i think this I just love it the way you kept asking that question, even today as you went to that. Uh, it may just be what Cheryl's saying, like we all just love ice cream, we end up there. But there's some, <laughs> there's some, some way of exploration that comes out of this kind of way of doing it that I, that I just find fascinating. So Tyler, it's just, this is just great. It's a little peculiar. It's just an odd headline. Within hours. Yeah, peculiar headline. Yeah, b- big headlines in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. State Department makes a strong comment against its own U.S. company in regard to, you know, not deciding not to sell somewhere how dare you not how dare you not sell somewhere you're a, you're a private you know, company Dan just mentioned it's part of you you, you don't that's not that's not your choice right. as a private company where you where you get to sell we're going to force you to sell somewhere how many shops is this, this is like one two shops I, yeah how, great question yeah exactly how it's like a nice cream stand it's literally like <laughs> it's not a, even a shop it's just like a, it's a great point like how exactly how much uh, ben and jerry's is being consumed in the west bank that's a great point and by the way, they're still selling it, it's isn't not it? Like, it's, uh, the thing is, it's not like they have a climate that you would uh, I, I have. A, I, it would be nice to have an ice cream or so. It's fucking polar bears and I, penguins all over there. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if it's, it's the mobile one? They can just like move it like, you know, three blocks over. And it's like, all right, we've made a political statement. Call the State Department. You know, <laughs> move three street, we made the street cart. <laughs> by the way, we have to actually listen to the Israelis. Israeli side of the story, they are saying this is a new form of the actual terrorism that's by the president of the Israel. <laughs> so here we or go. taking ice cream away or yeah. putting... God knows what he's saying. It's in their main newspaper, it's Harz. Um, Harz. Yeah. 
and the, they are really trying to the president. The SO group right now. They are really trying hard to come. Okay, the USA and the Israelis are saying, "What can we do to distract away? What would everyone care about? You're getting screwed with the 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 the, the, the your NSO stuff. It's going to come out. The NSA was sponsoring working with it. How are we can distract everyone? I know ice cream. Ah, Let's, people get really oh. pissed about this. Now, now we're getting somewhere. Hang on here. This is all a distraction about Pegasus. Yes. That never, never that's, mind that's, that, that was how it, that, that, they're that was all fighting over too. this ice cream <laughs> cart, just going across the border back and forth. <laughs> Anything, question and, is why and, Unilever would do this. I mean, they're that's a huge multinational. Company. It's not Unilever's choice. You, you, Unilever has a hundred brands. No, I'm talking about Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's is one of a hundred brands under Unilever. Jason had a really funny comment to say. If Unilever was behind it, you would have a hundred brands leaving the West Bank, not just Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's, this is very characteristic of Ben and Jerry's, by the way. They do things like this all the time against Unilever's wishes. But Ben and Jerry's don't run it anymore. The people running it, ah, we have to investigate that. Whoever's running it, this is very characteristic of of the decisions of whoever is running it. Yeah, they they have autonomy in the past, but Dan, Dan's point that they could, Unilever could have vetoed it, right? Like, just as a, as you know, as as a big corporate. maybe not, and Depends they on may the veto one or two things. Yeah, yeah. Let's see Jason. if there even is a Ben and Jerry I, store there. I can Jason. see the, I can see the future headlines looking back to when World War Three started, and it was over <laughs> an ice cream stand owner in the West Bank getting upset. <laughs> You're exactly right. They call them the airstrike for the cybersecurity response, for kinetic response for the cybersecurity part. It's all part of that ice cream stand. It was all running out of there. They call them the jets. <laughs> okay, next headline. Um, businesses and journalists can legally ask if you have been vaccinated. HIPAA does not apply. USA, to- wow. USA Today. You can. I'm tweeting it out now. You can read it from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. Well, let's go. That, that, that one deserves a little. That one's a little hot. Let's, let's dig on that one. Fact check. Where's a lot? Where's Jen? <clears throat> yeah, this is right up her alley. Uh, fact check. Businesses can legally ask if patrons have been vaccinated. HIPAA does not apply. This, according to the USA Today, the claim is HIPAA prevents anyone from asking if you are vaccinated. A mask wearing and social distancing guidelines as sorry, start over retake. Take two as mask wearing and social distancing guidelines relax. Uh, for fully vaccinated people, businesses are navigating how to implement new policies in their stores. Many businesses are ending mask requirements only for fully vaccinated customers, vaccine opponents, including uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, are using the occasion to restrict the false claim that HIPAA federal privacy law protects individuals from being asked about their vaccination status. On May 18th, several GOP members refused to wear masks on the House floor in defiance of House rules on mask wearing, including Green. When asked whether she was vaccinated, Green told reporters that asking about her vaccine status was a HIPAA violation. Green is not the only one spreading this claim, which has spread widely on social media in recent days. The rule is simple. HIPAA protects every American from disclosing any of their health records to anyone, claims an image posted on Instagram May 13. The poster clarified she was referring to the vaccine and mask requirements in her caption. If anyone asks about your vac status, oh, where did they, there, there we go. Uh, if, whoa, this article is USA Today's website. It's got some problems. Here we go. If anyone asks about your vac status, tell them that they have no right to know she wrote. This is an authoritarian, this is authoritarianism, by the way. 
literally communistic. Fact check. CDC's new guidelines for fully vaccinated people is not out of the blue. Other examples of social media posts with the claims can be seen on Instagram and Facebook. The health insurance, the, the HIPAA Act, is a law that prevents healthcare professionals from sharing private health information without a patient's permission. But experts agree that the interpretation of HIPAA cited by Green and others online is inaccurate. The law has no bearing on who can ask or answer questions about health status outside of the healthcare setting. They said USA Today contacted several uh, accounts that posted the claim. Experts say HIPAA does not cover vaccination questions. USA Today debunked a similar version of this claim last summer when mask opponents encouraged others to claim HIPAA allowed them to avoid mask mandates. Uh, Alan Meisel, a professor of law and bioethics at the University of Pittsburgh, told USA Today at the time that HIPAA's rules apply only to sharing information between covered entities. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services described covered entities as health plans, health care clearinghouses, and those health care providers that conduct certain health care transactions electronically. He said that the claim that HIPAA protected people from being asked about their vaccine status is utter nonsense. It is it in no way prohibits business owners and other individuals from asking people if they've been vaccinated. He wrote in the USA Today Mail. In fact, it doesn't even prohibit healthcare entities mentioned above from asking people if they've been vaccinated. Hey, Tom, can I get, could I add something here sure. uh, that I think would be helpful? Uh, so where I live, I live in Nevada, in Las Vegas. The casinos ha- know exactly which employees have been vaccinated, which ones haven't. They've got special cards to indicate vaccine status, because up until where COVID now has uh, gone up here, so now they're requiring all the employees to wear a mask again, some of the casinos went to a status that if you were vaccinated as an employee, you didn't have to wear a mask, and if you and if you were not vaccinated, you had to wear a mask. And, and so there was no issue, I mean, about even there, of the um, employer knowing the vaccine status of the employees. And, and that's even with a lot of employees having unions here, too. Two quick questions. Does this apply in employees, essentially, with the, the recent interpretation there? And the other part was, you know, we we're talking about, like, you know, vaccines versus masks. You know, it takes time for people to respond with these protocols. And what's fascinating is because we're being so slow to respond to things like Delta, like the CDC is still saying, if you're fully vaccinated, you have no worries. Don't do any. Don't worry about masks. Don't worry about anything else. And it's, 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 I was just checking the, the, the guidance literally just a few days ago. And so it's going to take, if we're, if our response time is still in the matter of like 30, 60 days, that might actually be too slow for some of those more recent variants. You just have to use common sense, man. I was in the freaking casinos and no one's wearing masks except for the employees. And, you know, it's going to spread, period. I mean, just, it's not to judge or not to be, but it's just, it's numbers, right? Common sense is not. Yeah, common sense isn't common. It was disproven at the years. It's done right at the bottom. I wanted to ask a question based upon like um, what's it called facial recognition in casinos and whether there's a use case for seeing if people are counting cards and people who will spend more, etc. And uh, seeing people who are inebriated, etc. So yeah. Okay, here we go. Hang on tight. Twitter for iOS begins testing dislike button for some users, so you can dislike what people are saying on twitter bring back dig yeah oh man kevin kevin rose so uh, i love dig yeah dig was great <clears throat> so uh pegasus it uh, says uh princess latifah and princess haya numbers among the leaks now being named as part of pegasus victims i don't know who princess latifah and princess haya is 
Anyone can help me with that? Wait, wait, wait. They've got the celebrity list, too? Man, There's this article's Dubai, been going right? on forever. There of Queen Latifah? Is it the Dubai? I don't know. Princess? I, I know Queen Latifah, but I don't know Princess Latifah. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's her, her, her daughter? <laughs> Phone numbers used by two Dubai princesses. Have re- well, what happens? Oh. What wait, wait, wait? What happens when Princess That's Latifah? The real Queen Latifah. Yeah, oh, what happens when drama. Princess Latifah becomes queen? What what are we going to call her then? She's not going to become queen. This one. This, if you read on. this is a long story. Okay. Yeah, that one. That one's got a lot of context. Yeah, go on, Chris. If you want to say a couple of things about because this is this has been going. Princess for a Latifah while, is, is like the, is, is the daughter of the ruler of Dubai. Uh, so she, I don't know if she could could. She's in it strange. She tried daughter. to run She's away. Strange. Oh yeah. She leaned on everyone international to bring her back. So there's a lot of subtext. Oh boy. Behind that yeah, no wonder she had a friend of very powerful people kind of not breaking their own laws, but kind of just there's there's a lot of back scratching on that one. OK, but some some mysteries are better left unsolved, perhaps. So initial fleet of autonomous food delivery robots have arrived already ascending onto the university of campus at the University of Nevada. Initial fleet of autonomous food delivery robots. Starship Technologies, which is the original creator of this technology out of uh, 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 Remind me, uh, Estonia, and which has now been copied by identical carbon copy by Amazon and also by Yandex out of Russia with this really cool autonomous robot delivery system. And uh, it looks like college for some reason they're they're testing these all out on college campuses. Uh, the Starship Technologies is doing University of Nevada and Russia was doing it near, I believe, NYU. Anyway, very interesting. The students won't attack the robots, and if they do, you basically can kind of basically say, "Oh no, it's just typical stuff." So when they do attack the robots, it's it's different. Yeah. Also, their map campuses is a big deal. Yesterday, your screen was built with fossil fuels, uh, meaning plastics, and today it's built with biology. As uh, why pump out oil out of the ground to make chemicals when microbes can make higher quality materials that are better for our planet? Is the headline from Forbes? And so tweeting that one out, Dan, that's a good opportunity for you to jump in with any green tech news. Should we do green tech? Um, well, I sent you a whole bunch of links. By the way, the back to the PG&E thing, they, they admitted that they helped cause the Dixie fire, which was one of the really big ones. And there's a lot of news about how New York is covered in smoke from the California and yep. Oregon, you know, the Northwest uh, fires. So it's... Um, I guess, you know, and there's other continuing stories on that's coming for the wealthy nations, climate change, that kind of stuff. Yep. So, but I just sent you a whole bunch of things. Yes. Don't have Tyler, before we move on, um, I was actually asking about the drone uh, topic that we were talking about earlier. Okay. Um, so, um, will an individual, a civilian, if his... Um, if they're um, at, at risk, will they have something to protect themselves ah, from the drone? You know what, guys? I have to apologize. I was supposed to have a hard stop at 4 o'clock. I have a guest here. I got to run. Sorry about that. So we will pick this up next time when we meet again in five hours. And see you later. Yes, see you later, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Bye. 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 Good morning.